Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me today, we've got Josh Torres. That's it. We have Adam Vitali. Hello. And we have James Galizio. Hey, folks. So this is it. What Josh is referring to is that this is our last regular recording of the TetraCast this year. In a lot of ways, this year has felt both very short, but also very long. And I'm always kind of appreciative that some years can still feel long and then the, the calendar isn't just flying by. Uh, we're trading out Chow this week for James, uh, but we are planning to have the whole standard crew here next week when we're planning to record our final Game of the Year podcast. Now, to be clear, we're planning to record that next week, but it won't be live until the uh, January 1st of 2023. So this is the last time we will publish a TetraCast recording this year. So I could save this for the end, but I'm going to state it out, uh, you know, out here in the front of the gate. Like, we obviously thank you all so much for listening this year. This year has been a kind of a big year for the podcast uh, in general, both for the participants, uh, for the site. And obviously, we've seen a lot of growth with the viewers. We got some of our, um, obviously, our podcast is hosted on a lot of different services. We have some people that listen to us on uh, on YouTube, directly on the site, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, things like that. And we had our uh, Spotify, for anyone who has any account there, does their yearly wrap-up uh, things that you listen to most this year, how many minutes you listened, and things like that. And of course, on our end, what we see is stats for the listening of our podcast and we've seen that something like 82 percent of people who listen to us this year on spotify like we're new listeners which is insane now a lot of those percentages are likely inflated because we're still kind of growing the, the, the podcast itself and are starting out with some smaller numbers so it's easier to have higher percentage points but still it shows us that we have you know a lot of support from you guys from the listeners for our podcast and obviously we're just so incredibly thankful uh for all of you that tune in every week to listen to us just chatter and ramble on yeah, growth is growth, you know, and we get a few like very kind uh, community members at the Discord even commenting like, "Hey, like you know, I I switched to the podcast. You guys did great this week, you know." And it's always it feels very you know rewarding and gratifying to do that. It's like it's like when we hear like you know comments like that, like we get reminded like, "Why are why are we doing this?" So one, we we do it because we enjoy it. Two, because we do it because of the people, you know. Like none of this happens if there's no community you know, backing it and supporting it. We look, we try to do our best and try to make it as entertaining and informative and accurate as possible uh, for all of you. Adam, James, here's your chance to chime in and tell how thankful you are. I just hope we're either interesting or useful. That's it. <laughs> I, I, think I mean, that, that, that's the reason to exist, to be to do something interesting or to do something useful. Mm -hmm. obviously i usually save this for the end but if you do have any feedback for us like we we love to see any comments whether it's in our discord discord.gg slash rpg site or commenting on the site post or even on the uh whatever podcast app you listen to us through whether that's apple or spotify or google um let us know what we did well this year let us know what you'd like to see going forward obviously depending on the suggestion we might not be able to accomplish everything but any feedback is good feedback we want to obviously make every year better than the last uh it looks like the growth that we've seen in 2022 has suggested that we're on the right track but uh we like to see your feedback and let us know what we can change and adjust and tweak kind of going forward as we go into 2023 kind of with all the thank yous and uh self-patting on our back out of the way we'll go into our last episode this year and some of our standard rundown so obviously it is uh kind of uh, a week into december now as we record this now 
for those that are curious, and we've stated this a few times, but we'll put it more clearly here. We are planning to do our end of the year wrap up uh, where we list and rank and make our own personal lists and put up our, our reader's choice poll. More on that later. Uh, the way that our website works is that we kind of treat the calendar year as like December through November. What I mean by that is that games that release in December, we kind of treat as eligible for basically rankings or uh, accolades or anything for the next calendar year. And and that was a rule that we kind of instituted maybe about two or three years ago, just to be fair, because early December releases oftentimes kind of get like the short stick. And, you know, we're trying to wrap up and get our podcast all sorted out. And a lot of those, we, they can fall through the cracks if you're not careful. So uh, anything that has released this month, for instance, like Dragon, Dragon Quest Treasures or uh, the Crisis Core Remaster, things like that, we will obviously start looking at this year and cover as they come out. But we will make sure that we kind of wrap those into our end of the year results and lists and rankings uh, in the next calendar year. But as for this week, we had a few games that came out either in late November or early December. Obviously, we're playing some games that released in the last month that we're trying to cover as much as possible before we go into the end of the year deliberations. And we do have, you know, some new releases of, of this last week. So we're just going to go ahead and kind of get straight into it. Um, the first one that we're going to open with is actually a remaster. And this is one that we mentioned on the site kind of late in the summer. And there was a few people on the podcast, specifically Adam and Chow, that I believe were most interested in this. It is another Square Enix release. And this is the remaster for Romancing Saga Minstrel Song. So I'm going to immediately hand this off over to Adam because I believe Adam, out of all the participants on our TetraCast, has been the most interested in this title uh, and I know has been putting a lot of time into it into the last week. So Adam, it's kind of easy for Minstrel Song to potentially fall through the cracks because there have been so many releases in the last month. But why has this been a game that you've highlighted and decided to kind of put your focus into uh, kind of as we enter this last month of the year? Yeah, uh, first of all, did you realize there's like technically four Square Enix releases in December? Let's see, like, let's see. Uh, we've got Crisis Core Remaster, we've got Minstrel Song. What am I missing? Uh, Dragon Quest Treasures. Oh, okay, yeah, that one. And also, this one I forgot about, Valkyrie Profile. The re -release. Oh yeah, the, 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 is it, that, that's just on PlayStation Store, right? Correct. Yeah, so yeah, no Square and, Enix I mean, has been... Uh, after, after, you know, Harvest Ella and uh star ocean and all the other games they've released in the last <laughs> after three months after point at the calendar after 2022 for square enix which has been insane uh, okay yeah so uh the saga series we've talked about it before we talked about it a lot actually we uh if you aren't aware uh, about three years ago for 2019 we gave uh saga scarlet grace our game of the year award like it was our number one release that year beating fire emblem three houses uh, and James also reviewed it and gave it a 10 out of 10. Uh, it's, an, it's an excellent game. And the Saga series, uh, it's a very difficult series to recommend or even describe. Uh, but first, let me just kind of give the kind of the details about what Romancing Saga Minstrel Song is. So Minstrel Song is a PlayStation 2 game. And that game is actually a remake of a Super Famicom game. The original Romancing Saga, which released in 1992, I believe. So, what Romancing Saga Minstrel Song Remastered is, it's a remaster of a remake. It's a remaster of the PS2 remake. Got it? So, um, the Saga series, not all of them, but this one and uh, a big subset of them, how it works, the Romancing Saga games, is that 
at the at the onset of the game, you get to pick a character. One of in in Romancing Saga Minstrel Song's case, one of eight, and each character has their own like bespoke opening to the story, like kind of how they get uh, set off on their quest, and then um, basically at the, at the start of the game, a big event happens. Uh, and depend on each character sort of like views that event differently, depending on like where they are at the time and in, in the world that this game is set in. And then after each character's opening scene, whichever one you decided to pick, uh, Romancing Saga Minstrel Song is a game that is 90% side quests. And what I mean by that is like, this isn't like a typical Japanese RPG where, um, most most Japanese RPGs and really Western RPGs too, you have like some f- uh, forward storyline, some main conflict that you're pushing your characters through a linear story, or even if there's an open world, there's like a main quest line and whatnot. There really isn't in Saga. Uh, there is no main quest line uh, or anything like that outside of the opening of each character scene. And so how the game actually works is you... You start your character, you recruit other characters that can join you, and there's a total of like, I don't know, 30, 40, something like that that you can recruit. Uh, Build your team and explore the world, and you basically kind of stumble into side quests as you go by talking to people, by visiting places, visiting cities, visiting lakes, volcanoes, caves, and... um, it's they the way they kind of describe this, Square Enix describes a game like this, is that you're creating your own saga. It's a little cheesy, but basically, you kind of just stumble across the story as it happens by exploring. And that's really the biggest thing with saga games, is that wanderlust and your own desire to explore and wander and is really what's dri- what drives these games. It's not like a forward storyline. And if you don't have that wanderlust, then you might find it boring or you might find it aimless. But that's just how they work. Um... I once heard. So I have a question for you, just just to kind of set my expectations. So I've played. I was not. I didn't play any saga game until I started contributing to this site and saw a lot of people, both within the RPG site group and kind of like our readership and just some other peers, speak really highly of the series. So back when you mentioned how we gave the Comic Game of the Year the War on the perfect score to Scarlet Grace, I played that, but admittedly, I played it just with one character played through once it was like 30 hours and i enjoyed it then when uh i forget if it was 2020 or 2021 i believe 2020 the um saga frontier remaster came out and that one i was more uh completionist on i played all the characters um i was pretty comprehensive and seeing all like the rune quests and things like that uh what is the, the a lot of the basics that you describe with um saga minstrel song sound very similar to Saga Frontier, where you choose eight characters, they start out differently, uh, but then you end up recruiting characters as you go through and you kind of carry them forward. So what is the main distinguishing difference between like Saga Frontier and Minstrel Song, if there is one? Well, the main difference in fr- uh, Saga Frontier, uh, each character kind of has their own unique main storyline. And I said Minstrel Song is like 90% side quest. Really, the only side quests in Saga Frontier are the rune quests, and that's mm-hmm. it. Like every otherwise, you're following each character's story, and they're a little bit. They all kind of run a little differently. In Minstrel Song, your characters don't really have a main storyline like they do in Saga Frontier. It's and what that that does mean. Maybe the characters you pick as your main character does make them a little bit less distinct. 
Um, but it's really just the, the focus of the game is different. It's really just more about the events and the side quests and the battles and the places you explore. Um, and they're all, like I said, they're pretty much, how do I put this? They're all optional almost. They're all missable and, or not all, but a lot of them, you know, it's just, it's, it's just basically, it's like kind of imagine like a pot full of like events and just kind of which grab bag of events you get kind of just depends on where you explore and what you do. And um, there is no linear story. There's no event that you have to do before. Well, there are some events that you have to like do one before the other, but it's really just kind of uh, by happenstance, which ones you happen to stumble across, which places you happen to explore. Um, I've heard, I've once heard Romancing Saga described as JRPG Skyrim. It's a little bit silly, but I get where they're coming from in that you kind of just pick a direction and go. There's no reason to pick one direction over any other direction other than, hey, this looks interesting or this town looks cool. Uh, this town has got us. Uh, you, you run around the city of North Est or South Estimir, excuse me, and you realize that there's apparently a slave trader ring. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem good. I'm going to look more into this. Or you look into the conflict between Merseburg and Eugenstadt, which are two... Uh, to basically military uh, kind of cities, uh, castle cities in the game. Or you can explore the island, uh, I think it's Wulan Island with uh, Oapo and Godango, and there's a conflict between the humans and the Gecklings. And like which events you explore is kind of just whichever one you want to. Um, and it's so it, when you talk about the story in these games, it's not really about your character, it's about the world. And the events that happen within it. And so, like, it's not really like a hero's journey. Or, you know, obviously it, it ultimately boils down to you're the good guys defeating the bad guys. But it's not really like a hero's journey like you'd normally see in a game like this. And that's only just all structural. Um, the combat in this game, I never mentioned this yet, is is turn-based. Um, so it's a, it looks at a glance like a traditional turn-based RPG. You know, you got a party of five characters taking on a party of enemies in a turn-based fashion. Um, but it has the, all the usual saga flair in that, uh, f uh, for instance, your health heals after every battle. Uh, a lot of abilities that you get are sort of semi-randomly acquired by exercised use. By that I mean, if you want to get better at using bows, you just put a bow in your character and start using it. You'll get better at it, you'll learn more bow skills and whatnot. And there are a lot of skills in this game for all different sorts of weapon types, all sorts of different magics, um, different armors have all these different effects. It, if I were to get into all the different um, like mechanics of this game, it would get kind of uh, it would get kind of complex and maybe even a little bit boring because there's just so much. Um, this is a really good game if you're like a mechanics grognard, uh, charitable definition of grognard, where. Uh, you there's just so many different things you can dig into in terms of building your characters, building your party. And I think Saga games have one of the best. Um, it's, it's, it's got a great feeling of when you like are putting together characters and builds into your party and synergizing them and creating a team that is basically unbeatable. And Saga yeah. games have a fair bit of challenge, too. So these are not a lot of these battles, especially if you're fighting since it is a little bit out of order, depending on whichever way you go, you might run into a really tough boss uh, early on in your game, and you might be able to beat him if you're good enough. Yeah, uh, I'm, think, I'm, th I'm thinking back, because I, I, cause I the only um, version I played of Romancing Saga 1 was the localized PS2 version of the remake. 
but I, but like thinking about like I've seen like the original version of the game running on Super Super Famicom like way back when, and like it, it's it's an interesting like remaster or remake and a remake itself because when we think about like what is actually like what did Minstrel Song bring to Romancy Saga One right we're thinking about like the like unlike the original it's it's actually in full three D graphics it was actors actually voice acting and then um and it, it's like it, it it's still the foundation of romantic saga like every, every single romantic saga and even other saga games like saga frontier to a certain extent like this is like kind of the core foundation the core basis of like defining those game structures not necessarily like the what like the enhancements or like how the generation system was like introduced in like and uh, in, in a later romantic saga but like just the, the feeling of what you were saying wanderlust the feeling of like exploring out don't let like it it's saga games are one of those things that would challenge like sort of like people who like look up like walkthroughs gameplay walkthroughs and guides because by their very nature there are a lot of missables but that's like on purpose as well so that it encourages like multiple playthroughs with another protagonist and seeing you know what other events that like you may have missed out on on an initial playthrough and so forth so I remember when we were like thinking about after Saga Frontier remastered, like what are they gonna remaster next? And then um naturally Romantic Saga the first Romantic Saga came up and we we're thinking, are they gonna do their very original or the or the remake? Because for the other Romantic Sagas they did like, you know, obviously the the only like original versions of those while Romantic Saga one is very different with its original version and remake. I I think I think they went with the right decision to do Minstrel Song because the very first romantic saga is very it, it's I'd, I'd say it's a, it's a rough experience you know even to try and remaster try to modernize because it doesn't have like the the presentation flair that minstrel song brings like i remember when they released like the debut trailer for the remaster of minstrel song a lot of people who've never seen the game are like oh, oh what are these graphics what are these character designs this looks like a, a ps1 ps2 game it's like yes this is a ps2 game you know it's a very antiquated sort of visual flair that i kind of like out of neutral sun because they're they're not exactly chibi but they're like it's uncanny enough to give it its own distinct like identity yeah. like when i think For better like, or worse they seem like they kind of stuck with that yeah scarlet grace is not quite the same but it's sort of similar where they're a little bit bobbleheadish in how they look yeah um, but if but, i had to pick like one concept that defines saga like a singular thing that prevails over everything else it's player discovery. Mm. And that goes with the story, the battles, the systems, exploration, everything is basically your own desire to figure it out and explore. And I wrote about this this summer. Uh, the executive producer, kind of the boss of the Saga series, is Akatoshi Kawazu at Square Enix. He's been there forever. He was uh, one of the key people in Final Fantasy 1. He was the lead director on Final Fantasy 2, which effectively he spun off into his saga series and um he's like he's gone on record in several interviews saying that when he was you know growing up uh, one of the things he really liked to do was play games like dungeons and dragons and wizardry but the thing is is they, they weren't available in japanese so he kind of had to play it and figure it out sort of um on his own in a, in a language he didn't really understand and that sort of concept of figuring it out on your own and exploring it, kind of trying it, you know, maybe even in a game 
like failing, not uh, struggling, but figuring it out in the end. That that kind of comes out in his game design, where like some people will ask, like, I don't understand how you play a saga game. Like, I don't really get the game. Well, there's something to be said. Like, the new remasters have improved, have improved like tutorials and explanations and things like that. But even with all of those additions that like these, this remaster has. You you really just need to play the game and kind of learn it and explore and figure it out and discover it, and that's just part of the design. Really, it's not gonna. It's not. If you want a game that is just like immediately intuitive, just Saga is not that. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just not, and that's just the way the games are designed. Yeah, so a different style of game. Like right. it's. I think I think the recent like string of like Saga remasters that they've done like. They've done a really smart decision with them where, like, they'll they'll give you a little bit more onboarding in terms of the tutorial and, like, get you a better idea of, like, how these games play. But they don't, they never really, uh, they don't implement something, like, fundamental, like, oh, it'll tell you where to go next. You know, because I think think if they did that, that would actually ruin, like, you know, the spirit of what a saga game is. If they told you, hey, go to this town next to go advance Mm -hmm. this side quest, you know, it's like... Sure, it might be a, a little bit more player-friendly in that aspect, but at the same time, you miss that uh, sense of discovery, the sense of, like, wow, I, I went to this town and, like, they had a continuation for this quest that I had no idea, you know, like, and that, like, the next part of this quest was going to be there. And I think that's something really core to the series that I really enjoy and really I, I find special of them. Um, for me, it's almost I, like a, uh, like a, almost like a hurdle that you step over. Like, for instance, I just recently finished The Divine Force, which is a very traditional contemporary JRPG where it's like, I want to play every Essawa character. Every time I have a side quest, a yellow diamond on the map, I want to complete it and like get those in order before I pre- progress the main quest. The old adage of being like, tell me which way is the correct path, and then I will exhaust all the other paths before I go forward. Where when I played something like Saga Frontier, uh, the remaster, or Saga, Saga Scarlet Grace, which was a few years ago now, and I was just now getting into the mindset, you kind of have to let go of your completionist tendencies to be like, I will get what I get. The story in some ways will be kind of personal to me. Obviously not completely because the game is still programmed at the end of the day, but it'd be like, oh, I never found that character. Oh, I went this direction and ended up doing this thing. That's what I found most interesting rather than like, yeah, I completed all the chapter one side quests and then I completed all the chapter two side quests and then I completed all the chapter three. You know what I mean? Like you have to kind of give up that tendency and i find personally when i when i was playing soccer frontier kind of was able to put myself in that mindset it's kind of like you get what you get but almost in a very positive way where it's like the story that i get is going to be something that i decided on and i i went this way and maybe i didn't see everything maybe i didn't complete a side quest perfectly or or i went to a town and i missed a character or or whatever um so i'm excited to play a minstrel song i have no idea when probably over the uh, christmas break so I likely won't get to it um, in the next week or so, but I'm kind of looking forward to being being able to put myself in that mindset again, just to because it's kind of enjoyable in that way because it is something kind of different. And in a way, even though I know this game is a remaster, it's a uh, it's almost refreshing in a way to play a game that's designed just a just a bit differently. And where the where the developer is almost bold enough to say like, yeah, we're we're okay if you don't see everything because sometimes these, there's almost like this impression where they don't want you to miss things because they spent time making the art and the music and the, the the battle design or whatever. But now they're, now they're saying like, no, it's okay. It's okay to miss stuff because we want your story to be personal to you. And I'm looking forward to that. I think one of the, one of the most emblematic examples of that in the game 
Um, so this game has several different regions. I named a few of them earlier. But one of the regions in the game is called the Frontier. It's sort of like the Wild West. And the thing is, is this this area of the game is very... I wouldn't say it's hard to like unlock, but it's easy to miss. Where you could go through the entire game maybe three times and never find this region. Um, and then like if you start as a certain character, you actually start in that region... And you, if you're not, like, following guides, if you follow a guide, you'll find it easy. But otherwise, you know, it's just, like, there's this whole area of the game that is sort of, like, secluded. And it's kind of just... I, I imagine, you know, if you're playing this game kind of naturally without guides or whatnot, if you were to stumble across it, it'd be like, whoa, I never knew this was even over here, all this stuff. Because um, the game never points you in that direction. Uh, and it's just, that's the sort of thing you were talking about where it's just like, there's a, quite a few, there's a few towns, a few areas in this frontier and developers basically made it. So it's like, yeah, this place, you may never see it. Uh, we've put time and effort into developing these, this area and a few quests there and you may never see it. Um, and that's kind of the point. Um, I'm, I, when I, I kind of think there are some parallels to be drawn between a game like Saga, especially this game and like. A D&D campaign. If you're doing like a D&D campaign, um, like with friends or whatnot, the, the dungeon master has to have like different scenarios in their head depending on what the players decide to do. Now, not all the scenarios will come out depending on what the players decide to do, right? You know, if they don't never go into a certain spot or, or a certain town or whatever. Um, but... That's sort of the same thing here. Like, whatever scenarios or quests or whatever you stumble across just sort of depend on where you go. And um, there are mechanics in the game where there are ways you can miss quests. And I know for, like, I think, like, a standard player, you're like, no, I don't want to miss anything. But that's that's where you kind of come back to what you were saying. Sometimes you just got to let go. Um, it's impossible. I think it's impossible to see everything on a first playthrough anyway. So you kind of just have to let go, just let it come to you. Um, and then, of course kind of flipping gears a bit there's all, the combat system and the battle systems are all you know very cool very interesting a lot of great things you can do about it there just on a like a purest mechanical front but i think this sort of combination of this like this mechanical kind of um this these i guess i'll just say the mechanics and the and the design of like the world i think come together very well yeah. So the the before before I because I have a question I want to ask you, Adam. But before before that, I just want to share like a little bit of trivia that people might might not know about the first Romantic Saga. Is obviously it has the mainstays of the saga series character designer Tomomi Kobayashi, fantastic artist. Of course, her art art still lives on in this in this remaster. Uh, timeless, just very very interesting designs. And of course, uh, composer Kenji Ito. Of course, the uh, they they remastered the the OST for the for this new release, right? They cleaned up the tracks. I think it's cleaned up, but it's definitely yeah. not like rearranged. Yeah, it's not rearranged. Yeah, re re rearranged. So, you know, that's all still preserved. But on the not not necessarily to Mitchell's song, but the very first original version of Romantic Saga, the 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 one who uh, did the field graphics for that game was Tetsuya Takahashi, who is you know the founder of Monolith Soft. So. And yep. if you ever think about like the Xenoblade series, the Xeno series in general, thinking about like, you know, player discovery, exploration, um, you know, that's very much inspired by And Sonic. you know who the, you know who the battle designer was for uh for, for Minstrel Song? Who was it? 
uh, Hiroshi Takai. There you who go. Is now the, who is now the director of Final Fantasy 16. There you go. So, so you know, we have a we have a kind of a bio on our site um, from what Jeremy is that his name, uh, who did a a very 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 good deep dive on Hiroshi Takai um, and who he is and where he came from and a lot of it is in that Saga DNA, even so though we're... Final Fantasy 16 itself looks nothing like Saga, but that's where he came from. So when we're talking about Minstrel Song remastered, obviously you know they probably added some stuff to this like a turbo uh, function. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just speeding up the game speed in general. Well, what other like I imagine there's like some sort of carryover function. You're starting a new character, like uh, Saga Frontier Remastered did it. Um, what like what other significant like enhancements or changes that you've seen in the Mitchell Song Remastered? Uh, like what did they? What makes the experience like an improvement over the original? PS2. Yeah, so uh, there are come there are some really key additions, and it's one of those things that like once you once you realize what they added, it's like how did this ever exist without it? Uh, one of them is like the turbo feature. Um, you can do both like a two times turbo and a three times turbo, both in and out of battle. Um, it's you know just for exploring the world or even just getting through some battles. It's really nice to have, of course, um, especially uh, since some battles you can find like a. Uh, kind of a, an engine of skills, and you can kind of just do the same skills over and over, so the turbo is fine. Um, the, you're the, one of the biggest additions is the new Game Plus carryover, and this is sort of expected because other recent Saga games and remasters have added this, where um, a lot of the characters that you can recruit, you can recruit on any playthrough, right? So it makes it more conducive to do a second playthrough now, where you have your main character and you recruit four others, and you, you you equip them, you power them up, they get a bunch of new skills and abilities, and then on a second playthrough, you can start as a separate as a separate character, but they might already be powered up, you know, if they're all, if they're one of the people you recruited before, and then you can kind of just a lot of the challenge is gone, of course, but you know you've already beaten the game once, and so you can kind of just explore and just see, oh, well, let me just do it with this character and see how they work, and you know see if there's anything else I haven't done yet, and since there's eight characters, obviously there's definitely reason to replay again and that all the new game plus carry over and there's a lot you can pretty much carry over everything now um definitely makes it more conducive to doing that there's also just a lot of like ui changes in terms of the battle interface and the menu interface it makes it just a little bit clearer like um how to change classes or how to learn abilities and uh what the different there's a little there's more labels in terms of uh you know what does this class do and what does this weapon have and Things like that it just makes it a little bit easier. Just to yeah. you, you pick up a new weapon, you're like, well, how does this differ from the weapon I already have? It's easier to see now. Nice. Um, there's a couple of other uh, big adjustments. One huge one. I don't want to forget this. In the original game, you had a 99 item storage limit, and it kind of sucked to be honest, because there are so many like there's so much equipment and items in this game, especially if you want to like recruit lots of characters. And it's just it was just kind of a pain to manage. In this game, they just simply added a 1,000 item storage chest. You can there access you it from anywhere and you can just oh, dump all your stuff into it. That's and great. It, it's great. Um, there's a couple of other small additions. Uh, for example, uh, on, in, in a town, you can pull open the map and you can just click on one of the like the shops or the inn or, the, or some of the other like places on a map and just warp directly to it rather than having to walk there. Um, I, I'm, of, I, I'm almost of two minds of this where... I like exploring the towns. I think they're all nice and neat. But if you're just, you know, kind of just trying to go to a place, you know, to, to go to the shop or go to the pub real quick, it's just nice to be able to click a button on the map and go there right away. 
you know, just small little things like that. Uh, one thing that I wish they, uh, I, I sort of wish they added, was that, like in Saga Frontier, you may remember if you played it, you can turn off battles. So you, none of these games don't have random encounters, none of the games do, but you run into uh, enemies on the screen. And in Saga Frontier Remaster, you could literally just turn off battles where enemies just wouldn't initiate battle. They'd like try to run into you, but they couldn't. In and this I game, remember there is thinking no when thing. I played through that, that like, man, I couldn't imagine playing that game if it forced you to fight every time because there's there, a lot of there enemies. Is, there is a reason why they don't do it here. Um, uh, there's a couple of reasons, but one is that this game has a uh, has a like a proficiency system. There's a lot of systems in this game, and I'm not going to explain all of them. But um, there's a system where you can kind of like sneak around monsters and like avoid battles that way uh, by using proficiencies known as like lurk and move silently. And so like they're already sort of baked into the game rather than just having like a, some sort of like master toggle turn battles on and off. So I sort of understand why they didn't add one because it's kind of already there's already a mechanic for it. It's not so easy. It's just an on and off toggle, but it's there. So I get it. Uh, and, it and that's also important because like there's scaling difficulty. Basically, like the more battles you f- fight, the more yeah. Just like any saga game, I guess I yeah. should have mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously that 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 design. Basically, what you were saying, what Josh was saying, was. Uh, the more battles you do, there's literally, I think it's called a monster rank. Uh, people used to call it battle rank, but in this game, they actually call it, like in one of the menus, they call it monster rank. So people yeah, who are yeah. veterans of the game have to change the <laughs> I need name. to get used to that then. Yeah. Well, it's also called glimmering and not sparking, even though yeah. anyone who plays these games will call it sparking. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, the more monsters you fought, you battle, your your monster rank will go up, and this, that means you'll fight stronger monsters. It's sort of like Final Fantasy VIII in that sense. Uh, that design makes sense, though. If you have a game where you can kind of go in any direction, and at the, at basically from the get-go to to you know decide which where which way you're going to go, they didn't want like this direction is easier than the other direction, and that kind of would basically just, just dictate which place you should go first. But because battles just kind of rank up as you do, there is no correct answer to which way you should go first, or there's no easier path really. Um, so it, I think it's I think it's still the game is still quite manageable. Uh, I know sometimes people play these games and they're paranoid, they're like, "Oh, I'm going to get too strong, and the battles are going to become too hard." I, it, I think it does a pretty good job, and there is a limit. So eventually, you get to the point where, like, "All right, I'm at the max monster rank, and I'm going to get stronger, but the monsters at this from this point on, and the monsters can't." Uh, but yeah, that's part of the design about being able to go anywhere. Uh, now, in terms of like new content, this part is a little bit weird, and I actually didn't quite realize how this worked until I dove into it more. So Square Enix kind of promoted there's new content in the game, specifically with a character named Aldora. Now, I had actually never uh, encountered this character when I played this game in the past, and because they're sort of a kind of a, a tucked away character, they're sort of hidden, and uh, they're only available in the original PS2 version. This Aldora character. This is going to be weird to explain. Yeah, on a, I understand. I, yeah, I on a second playthrough. <laughs> they're, they're only available. You only can only even learn about them on a second playthrough. So that's already like you cannot see it your first time through the game. And the, so they added this, these events with Aldora. And the way the character works is that you actually won't be able to see these new events until your third playthrough. So in a nutshell, the new content that they added in terms of like not like additions in QOL, but content is 
third playthrough minimum. And that's only if you uh, kind of hit all the correct flags in the right order to actually see it. Uh, so it's kind of tucked away, this new content. And to be honest, it's not a reason really to buy the game. It's nice, but it's not like it's not like the reason to buy the remaster. Or it's not like it's something that makes the remaster immediately like 100% better. It's just kind of a nice new little thing. Um, I won't get into the spoilers about who Eldora is and what their story is about. But basically, provided you unlock the content by doing certain things in the game, uh, it kind of just builds a little bit more on like the lore of the world. Um, that was already there, but you're kind of seeing it from Eldora's perspective, and she has a very unique perspective of it. It, it, so, it, feels, it feels more like a, a, a you know the thank you to veterans you know who played this game before like it's one of those things it's like oh that's really cool that they added this but it's not it's not actually an addition it's like, that's meant for like total newcomers it's like oh wow that's interesting that it would yeah, be to be add that to be clear to, to be clear in the PS2 release people wondered if Aldora was playable like can you ever play as yeah. Aldora like I you you kind of see her but like she looks like she should be a playable character but she's not and. Uh, so it's almost like a throwing a bone. Like, yep, now she's playable. You're you're sort of wondering if she was. She wasn't. But, but it's like you have to go. To, you have to go to like a certain length to do that, though. Yep. As well, so I, I gotta ask. Though, other, like when you also, say, uh, one second. Sorry, one second. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> they added four other playable characters. The Eldora one is the one where it's actually like new content. They did add four other characters who existed in the original game, and really their like existence in the remaster in terms of like the story and the events is no different, but now you can recruit them. They added the, the four characters, Marina, Monica, Flamar, and Shiel. And, um, they, there's, they have like some new abilities and classes and things too, uh, that they added also. So that's also in terms of new content, like Flamar is a pretty significant character in the game. And now it's like, Hey, now you can get her under party. She's a pretty, I assume she's a pretty powerful mage. I don't know. I never used her, but, uh, now you can, if you want now, what were you going to say, Ryan? So I've played a couple Saga games and especially Saga Frontier. When you say something like this character is third playthrough exclusive, like that's a little bit intimidating. But yeah, so I guess I got I have to ask some like some basic questions like how long is a playthrough? Like I know from Saga uh, Frontier when I played like the, the first character playing through that game once took maybe 15 hours. But then at that point, like you roll through the remaining seven in that game pretty darn quickly. At that point, it's like the game is designed to be replayed. I assume that Minstrel Song works very similarly. When you say third playthrough, it's like, yeah, the first playthrough is learning the game and the systems and all that, but then after that, after that point, it gets a lot more abbreviated, I assume. That's true. I would say in terms of unlocking Aldora, it's less the third playthrough bit that's like the intimidating part. It's what you have to do before that to actually get her. <laughs> it's uh you i can explain it it's kind of tricky you have to recruit a character you have to st uh, you have to uh well i guess oh, shoot <laughs> there's, there's i'm missing i already missed a step one second well i don't need to explain <laughs> it it's very tricky you so basically, basically have to recruit this... a character in a certain way but you have to see certain events and you cannot see other certain events and then once you recruit this other character named dark you have to raise his stats such that his intelligence reaches 40 before his dexterity reaches 50 and then he'll run <laughs> off and then you have to open up the the nether world and getting to the nether world is sort of tricky because you either have to have your favor with the dark gods be high or you have to go to the fire elemental and murder him and then you can open the door to the nether world then you can talk to death and once you talk to mm -hmm. death, 
and uh, you have to do a few things. You can open up purgatory. You can go down through purgatory. It takes a hundred floors or a thousand floors, excuse me. And then once you Wait, do what? that, <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell saw this so sick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I skipped a few steps, but something like that. Okay. What he said, what he said, it might have sounded like, like a shit post, but I shit you not. That uh, these are all elements of the game that I do remember. Like, oh, so basically, yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's not necessarily that. Not necessarily recruiting, but like elements that he said. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that. That is a part of the game. <laughs> oh man, that's pretty good. What did Kawazu mean by this? Who knows? What was he cooking? <laughs> How did he know? I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad Square Enix kept Kawazu with like a basement corner office just to let him oh, cook. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll finish off. How, sorry. No, I love ahead. how with uh, Square Enix uh, remasters, it's like a roll of the die, whether or not they're going to be like amazing or Chrono Cross. <laughs> but when it comes to Saga remasters, every single time it's like, yeah, no, this is a fantastic remaster. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no reason to play the PS2 version now. And it's uh, this game doesn't, there's nothing that this game does that detracts from the original at all. Um, unless for some reason, I guess you really hate turbo mode. I don't know. Uh, but, um, a couple, uh, I'll finish off the section by saying one, also this remaster is only like $25, which is pretty good uh, for a PS2 game remaster. You know, I think that's a pretty fair price. Yeah. And also in terms of the saga series that leaves two games that have not been remastered, which I'm thinking ahead here. I know maybe it's a little bit childish to always say like, what's next? But I'm curious, you know. Uh, the two games that have not been remastered are Saga Frontier 2. I know that one people have been waiting for. And actually, I know some people were disappointed that that was not what was announced this year. And it was Minstrel Song instead. So there's still Saga Frontier 2, which he has mentioned before they're interested in doing. And then there's Unlimited Saga. I haven't played that. Oh, <laughs> I'm on the Unlimited Saga crowd. <laughs> Yeah, uh, a limited saga I, I hear is like the most saga of all the sagas. It's the saga-ish saga. Um, is that a good saga. thing? I don't know. <laughs> I never played it, uh, but apparently it's uh, it's it's um it's basically it's prevailing uh kind of what's the word I'm looking for a reputation is that it's impossible to figure out what you're actually doing. Uh, it is but, the most. Uh, it, it is the it is the most. Um, saga game in the sense that it like you think about the aspects of wanderlust and like all the confusion that wanderlust brings and like when you set off to go do something you have no idea how the fuck to even do it and where you're supposed to go and like you're trying to make sense of stuff but you're like completely lost that's unlimited saga in a nutshell so, so that's right now by the most saga saga but yeah I, I haven't played it so if it, if it gets a remaster, I'll check it I, out. I, I am man, very curious if they if they if, oh, if, if they announce work. if they announce that like remaster, like my ears will perk up. Like okay, what the fuck are they doing to this game? Like I, I I am dying to know if they ever bring that game back. What they do, they and, like, also... and, and that makes me excited for some weird fucked up reason. Yep. They also did announce a while back that they are gonna they are making a new game. Mm -hmm. So we have no idea how that'll look, but 
Thanks, thanks, Square Enix, for keeping Kawazu, giving him a team in whatever basement he's working in. Because it turns out their stuff turns out pretty well so far. It's it's really interesting to see like when you when you see like the the rise and fall of like the general quality of like other franchises, like not even just JRPGs, but just like hey, like you know series in general. Like people have got their 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 highs and their lows, and sometimes they're very low Our lows. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you see like the saga crowd, just like. Yeah, um, well, each of our games are fucking fire. Each of our remasters are fi- fire. Oh, and then Scarlet Grace, fire. So <laughs> it's like kind of like Saga has really been like the most stable <laughs> out of these, out of this era. Mm-hmm. It's been great. It's been great. So Minstrel Song released on December 1st, the remaster. So we have a category for our Game of the Year podcast that is best remaster or re-release. But I guess this one will just barely uh, miss the cutoff. So I guess this will be in discussion for next year. So I guess kind of like earmark this for 12 months from now, we might discuss whether or not Minstrel Song Remastered is the best re-release of 2023 uh, in the way of our recording. And you mentioned uh, Chrono Cross, uh, one of you did um, earlier. And it's like, oh yeah, that was a remaster from this year that a lot of people are looking forward to. That it was, uh, it was okay. It was my first time playing uh, Chrono Cross, so I enjoyed it for the accessibility regions. But yeah, it was uh, didn't run well on computer. Didn't really have a lot of quality of life going for it. So I'm, I'm been, excited. Actually, I actually like looked at like the, what the mod scene was like uh, was like for that remaster uh, just like maybe a week or so ago. I'm like, it's been kind of shaping up at least on when you account for PC mods. It's like it's like all right. I'm getting there. <laughs> so, give us an example, like one uh, PC mod, like uh, like AI upscaling uh, to clean up the visuals, so the so the especially like the the cutscenes don't uh, feel as uh, don't look as crummy and pixelated. Like that, like AI upscale did a lot. AI upscaling mods like really mm-hmm. clean that up in certain aspects. You know, trying to get like the, the frame rate a little bit more stable, so like battles don't run as choppy. As they like inherently do, so it's, I don't think there's like a perfect 60 FPS mod, but definitely one like in like uh, stabilize at 30 at the very least and look smooth. So like stuff like that, you know. No, that's good to see because you know PC releases of these games will allow them to kind of be uh, available and accessible and have fan made tweaks and things like that. So it'd be interesting if I once I get to Minstrel Song, you know, middle of next year or so, what what all is out for for that. But thank you, Adam, for going over I know, a game that you've been looking forward to for most of the year once it was really uh, announced earlier this summer. And we will uh, keep an eye on it as we go into 2023 for Best Remaster. And obviously, uh, we like you kind of alluded to, we do know that uh, they announced that they were working on a remaster project and a new game in the series. So we do know that Kawazu is cooking something. Uh, so for those that use either the Saga Frontier Remaster or the Minstrel Song Remastered or Saga Scarlet Grace, which is still an excellent game and you should play it, uh, is 2023 the year of new Saga? Or are we going to be waiting a little bit longer? Every year is the year sure. of Saga. Saga never yeah. dies. So the second game that I have listed uh, on our podcast, Doc, to talk this week in our last episode of the Tetracast this year. So obviously we're uh, we're kind of wrap- trying to wrap up and tie bows on all the games that I've released this year so that we're ready to discuss them and defend them and rank our list as we get into the game of the year podcast. And again, we say game of the year, a more appropriate title is RPG of the year for our site. That's the way we we title our end of the year deliberations. Um, Looking at all the games that are released and basically 
because we only all have so much time and so much, you know, availability in our personal schedules, some games many of us will have played, for instance, like Elden Ring or Soul Hackers 2 or things like that. But then obviously we always encounter some games that only one of us has played and has to try to defend whether we think highly of it or or not in the end of the year podcasts. So I was looking at what game should I play in this first half of December to to try to make sure that we have a defender in that corner for game of the year talks if it's needed. So I was looking at the list of games. I was thinking, should I play Soul Hackers 2 or Harvestella? I decided I was going to play Harvestella because it's a type of game that I haven't played before in terms of like, I, I've like my girlfriend plays Stardew Valley. I've seen a lot of people play very similar styles of games. There's been so many games that have kind of been made in that image, like Potion Permit released this year. There's several others, uh, but this is the one that kind of falls most in our wheelhouse as a kind of RPG farming sim hybrid. And a lot of people, it kind of released at a bad time, admittedly. I mean, middle of November, we had Pokemon, we had Star Ocean. Uh, we had a whole bunch of other things going on. So I figured, hell, I'm going to play a little bit of Harvestella before the end of the year podcast so that at least I can speak to it going into the deliberations to see, because I've seen a lot of positive word of mouth on Harvestella about it being surprisingly good, surprisingly deep, also surprisingly long. I've seen people that have spent more than 100 hours in this game, and I've still not seen everything. Uh, so I decided to download it and start playing it. And it's been really, really, I guess, cozy in kind of low stakes in a way. A lot of times uh, RPGs kind of get in this place where you end up getting like invested in like a narrative or the main driving force is wanting to see what the next chapter brings or what the next cutscene unveils or what the next secret is. Uh, Harvestella does have a little bit of that, but uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of chapter two, so I'm not very far in the game, but I just kind of enjoyed kind of like how chill it is. Um, it has a lot of aspects that are for me, I'm going to sound like for those that have played a lot of farming sims, I probably sound like a complete greenhorn here because I'm going to, I'm basically just going to assign a lot of things be like, oh yeah, I saw this in, when I watched people play Stardew Valley or whatever, when it might not be correctly attributed to that. But just, just the, um, the, the stamina system in terms of like how the, the days operate and you, have, you only basically have so much meter to work through as you tend to your garden or go out and explore in the field or fight enemies or um, even sprinting in this game like takes from your resources and then you have like your shipping box that you sell all of your goods at to, in order to you know give your give your wallet a boost and uh, acquire new materials or new recipes or new seeds and kind of it's just kind of got a, a rolling day-to-day -day kind of comfort feel to it where it's really good i'm playing this on steam but i understand why it's also released on switch because it seems like the perfect like bite-sized game in order to just play day by day and progress very uh methodically as you uh access new recipes or new areas or you progress the story uh, i will say that unfortunately i was trying to get further in this game like i wanted to be i wanted to put a significant dent into harvestella before this week's podcast but I ended up having some issues with the PC port in terms of just like random. It's on Unreal Engine 4 and I've had some random crashes and I've uh, I've kind of looked around the Reddit and Steam forums and it seems like this isn't uncommon. I think I've solved the crashes by disabling like the Steam overlay by playing in full screen uh, and a few other little tweaks that I've seen recommended, but it doesn't seem like there's any absolute fixes. I did also download it on my Steam Deck because basically when James had first put a few hours into this, he suggested that it does perform well on Steam Deck. Uh, so I haven't played it there yet, but I got it recently installed on there and I'm interested in trying it out on there. Uh, 
so I can play it if I'm out of the house. But so I was hoping to be farther, but I ran into a few technical issues. But uh, other than that, I've just been having kind of like a real chill time with this. And it's it's been engaging me more. The two games that I'm in the middle of right now, before we get to the end of the year podcast, are Pokemon Scarlet Violet. I haven't finished that yet. And Harvestella. And I will say that for whatever reason, Harvestella is just gripping me more. It just feels a little bit more new, more novel, something a bit different, a type of game that I haven't played before. If you have played a lot of farming sims, it might feel like it's playing copycat. But I guess that's maybe maybe I'm the t- basically maybe I'm the target audience for Farvestella. Big Square Enix fan, love playing all these Japanese RPGs. This is the one that finally introduces like the farming sim elements to it and things like that, even at a very light scale. So maybe maybe this is my gateway drug. And by this time next year, I'll be talking about putting 100 hours into uh, uh, things like Stardew Valley or Potion Permit or the new uh, the new is it Witch Brook, whatever the um, uh, concerned ape new which RPG is has a There's very a similar Rune system Factory to that. Out, or I guess oh yeah, Rune. Old, there you go. Old. Yeah, Rune Factory Three Special. You know, maybe I'll start playing that a bunch, or the, or a new Story of Seasons, or Harvest Moon, or things like that. Uh, so it's just been something that it's been really relaxing, and this the artwork is actually like both the 3D art and the 2D art. I think I've mentioned when we we're covering the marketing in this game uh, that. They're kind of incongruent from each other, but the game, even though it was like built, you can kind of tell on a budget. It doesn't have like the greatest production values, but it's very clean looking. The arts, the like the art style and the colors are very appealing. The two D art, I forget who the, who the two D artist is for Harvestella, but just like every single character art, I just think is immaculate. It's just really really good. The music is very calming. It's just like it's one of those games where it just doesn't have any. As far as I can tell, I'm not far into it yet. It just doesn't have any blemishes. It's just something that is just really well put together. I say that other than I know I'm having the PC issues, but hopefully those are things that are kind of sorted out. Uh, I should probably clarify that you're either, also on Windows 11 or your main PC on this. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm on Windows 11, which apparently was a bad idea. Uh, but I haven't run into <laughs> it in other games. But 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 here I'm just apparently running into some weird. My game will be running. It's one of the, one of the things I actually had this morning when I was trying to put a few hours into this game. I was running the game perfectly fine. It goes up to 120 FPS, 4K, no issues. And then all of a sudden I get this error window that shows up that just says Unreal 4 Fatal Error. But it's one of those error boxes that you can literally like just click and drag aside and still just play through the game. Like I'm not seeing any problems. What's... But then like uh, as soon as I try to load another screen, my game doesn't decide, decides not to do it. I'm like, ah, why, why, why you got to be like this? So yeah, it, it, it is a little bit of frustrating. And I'm trying to keep it in mind. Um, just uh i it's one of those things where it's like i don't want to immediately blame the port maybe i've got some like background process on my pc running that shouldn't but like i it's one of those things where it's like well works on my machine or i guess doesn't work on my machine uh have have uh, no have no other issues playing other things i was poking at a few other games this week without issues but harvestella just um must must not have been tested in whatever specific configuration that my pc is using i don't know if it's my cpu or my ram or what but uh, I'll try playing it on Steam Deck because I know that uh, James and others have mentioned having yep. uh, a really good time with this on Steam Deck. So it seems like it's kind of tailor-made for it. I was playing Divine Force on Steam Deck when I was finishing that up. And that one was kind of like clearly not built for it. Uh, it has it wasn't running as well on Steam Deck uh, as it could have been. But it was doable and allowed me to play You know, when I was away from my, from my house or whatever. But this game seems like it's something more tailor-made for it. So I'm interested in trying that and see if... Uh, it ends up being a really good fit for that. And kind of like I said, it's really good for kind of bite-sized uh, bite play sessions. Um, I'm not really familiar with the other work of the developer, Livewire. 
So we've kind of mentioned in the past as we've gone through this podcast how Square Enix is partnering with so many smaller developers to put their name on everything. So it's one of those games where I've been impressed enough in my first handful of hours that uh, I'm interested kind of in seeing like, what else has this team done? What are they working on now? Sort of thing. So um, it's one so of those things funny where... thing about that, <clears throat> uh, Adam, you really liked uh, uh, Ender Lilies, right? Yeah, the thing is, is uh, Ender Lilies, I think, was co-developed by Livewire and AdGlobe. So Livewire, which is one of the developers of Ender Lilies, did Harvestella. So, but, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, like, Ender Lilies itself, which I really loved, how much of it was Livewire, how much of it was AdGlobe, yeah. I'm not sure. But, uh, but yeah, so that, that when you ask, Brian, what games have they done, I know Ender Lilies, at least, they did some work on Ender Lilies for sure, which I liked a lot. Endless is one of those games where uh, Adam hasn't played Hollow Knight and I haven't played Ender Lilies. They seem like similar games, but since neither of us have played both, I don't know how true that is. I've played uh, both. Same... Um, I'd say that uh, they're similar, but there's more of an emphasis on like movement and platforming, I'd say, in uh, Hollow Knight versus there's like more of a focus on the combat in uh, Ender Lilies. That's good to know. Yeah. And like, also, I'm also thinking like the Ori game. So I think in 2020, 2021, I played Hollow Knight. I played both Ori games. Uh, I think there's another one that I played that was very similar. So I never got to Ender Lilies, but it's been, you know, we've all got our backlogs, right? So it's one of those things that it's like, I will get to it when I find time. But yeah, this is Harvestella. I've just been really impressed by. I just, I think I've enjoyed just the game that's a little bit more cozy, things like that. Now, Now I kind of, I'm starting to understand why there's a whole like, genre of people who look for like cozy games games that you can play in bite sizes and are low stress and things like that but but still kind of have a lot of the same aspects that uh it has a lot of traditional jrpg like storytelling to it and it's got like artwork that's really nice i've i saw cullen i believe of all people talk about how one of harvestella's first boss fights really reminded him of final fantasy 14 like a raid fight or or a, a trial fight and i haven't quite got there yet and I'm not, even though I haven't played Final Fantasy XIV significantly, I've watched plenty of streams or I've watched people like James or Chow play uh, new, you know, Savage tier rating on that. So I'm interested in being like, all right, right now this game feels really cozy, but now you're telling me it's going to have like a Final Fantasy XIV evocative boss fight coming up. I'm looking forward to seeing that. So if it can thread that needle pretty well, like I'll be able to speak more uh, definitively on Harvestella, hopefully by this time next week when we're recording the um, Game of the Year cast. Just because I didn't want this game to fall through the cracks. It's really kind of an interesting idea. It's it's obviously a very popular genre right now. Very Something that is really marketable for those that have been playing Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons or Stardew Valley or any of those. So I kind of exactly understand why they targeted this. And I've seen a lot of positive word of mouth, even like on the Steam forums. I saw someone say like, wait, this game is actually good. So I guess, I don't know if people were, weren't didn't, didn't have high expectations for this. Uh, but it just seems like it's something that is kind of been it's 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 filling a space that isn't well filled in terms of like a unique little niche that there's not a lot of games occupying uh being a farming sim rpg hybrid that kind of leans more towards the latter rather than the former so i'm interested in like in this week putting a lot of time into this and being able to see if, if i agree if it's kind of a good gateway drug for this style of game for someone like me that hasn't played a lot of the farming sims but it's i've really been enjoying it so far i'm 
glad that I decided like which game should I randomly install for this last week. I was kind of flipping a coin between Soul Hackers or this. And right now I'm not regretting my decision to to uh install Harvestella, kind of poke at it and see what I'm doing. And I think I've solved my uh, I think or not solved, but I think I found a workaround for my weird random PC issues uh for running this game. And if momentum keeps carrying forward, I'll thinking of this pretty highly by the time it comes to deliberate it next week. All right, the uh, the last game that we have listed on here is a game that just released at the very end of November. Uh, so this game is technically in the running for any of our deliberations next week with the Game of the Year podcast, the RPG of the Year podcast. And that is the Front Mission first remake. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this released on Switch exclusively on November 30th. So about a week ago as of the time of recording. So technically in the scope for best is would this be in the remaster category or as it's a remake would it be in the remake category i guess we'll be here to discuss that but i know we have a few people on hand i believe quinton on the site is looking to cover this formally but i have a note here saying that josh has also been able to put a little bit of time into the front mission remake so josh obviously this is the very last game on our schedule to release that is in the deliberation window for this year so should front mission should front mission remake be a game on our radar for this year's deliberations what are your thoughts on it first uh this game didn't release on a week ago it just released like three days ago um on uh, uh as of the recording uh this recording anyway just released last wednesday gotcha um yeah um this is a weird one so this is a remake by forever entertainment uh who also did the remake for panzer dragoon uh, not not too long back, and uh, I played I played the original Japanese version of this way back when when I was like on Super Famicom, um, and also I played this on PS One and the and the, and the DS version. There's like a DS version as well. So I played like the first Front Mission a few a few times before, and like you know, there's a lot, this remake is kind of like the one that really uh, changes a lot about it. There's like visuals and like new gameplay styles and so so forth. Um, so like this is like fully remade, like in three D graphics, like with a free with a more free camera. It's not stuck with the, the isometric um camera angle, though. There is like a mode, like a classic mode, that like you can have it be like locked on that camera angle. But then there's like a more modern version. Like why would you go with the ca- classic version then? So um, and it's it's front mission one, you know, it like. For better and for worse, like it's a like Front Mission One is a very straightforward, somewhat basic game. Like I don't think, I don't think Front Mission One is like for people who are like into the Front Mission series that are like, I don't think there's many of those fans like, hey, Front Mission One is my favorite. Uh, like it, it certainly established the foundations of the Front Mission series being like, hey, there's these mechs called Wanzers. Um, it's a strategy RPG, and a big, big focus of this game is like, um. You have multiple health bars on these Wanzers. You have one for the body, one for each arm, the ref, right arm and left arm, and the legs. And take it. And uh, as you um, deal damage to foes, you'll be hitting. You know, you either miss completely, or you'll have some shots into these um, parts. Um, and depending on the type of weapon that you're um, uh, using to attack. Um, you'll either do like a lot of like damage onto one part, or you'll have like several bullets spread out, uh, hitting multiple parts at once. And uh, all of these parts, of course, are uh, like they dynamically 
are very important to your to your wanzer. Um, of course, when you take out the right arm or left arm, um, you lose all um, utility out of that arm. So whatever weapons are or equipped to that arm, you can no longer use them. Uh, for legs, obviously, you'll have uh, better uh, accuracy against that opponent, and that opponent can't move as as much as they want to. They can still move, but only for a few tiles. Um, and of course, the body is the most important one because if your body is taken out, the whole wander just explodes. So that's kind of like the the fundamental like gameplay uh, mechanic in the front mission series. Um, the fr- the first front mission is is very straightforward. Yeah, you can do one of two protagonists. Um, the first the, the first protagonist that's m- uh, mostly tailored to newcomers. Um, I, it's kind of a weird one because I always knew them as Lloyd L L O Y D, but uh, for whatever reason, like the this remake uh, uh, names them with the default name as Royd R O Y D. Um, huh. I, yeah, I'm not sure if that's like if that was ever official or like that's canon. I always thought it was just Lloyd, <laughs> you know, but um, it's a. Uh, I kind of like it has good gameplay improvements in the sense that like the free uh, camera and then there's like now a tactical overhead map that you can access, so you can like get a better sense of like where enemy placements are because like some of the maps can get you know uh, uh, pretty big and like uh, instead of scrolling to those enemies, you can just like open up a tactical head map and be like okay these are positioned here and you can start like planning out like what your um approach is to the to these uh enemy units and so forth but there, there's like it feels i don't know if this is a nintendo switch thing or an optimization thing but it feels weirdly like unresponsive when it comes to, like menus it's like it's not as smooth as i want it to be menu wise and that's like kind of a weird thing because i remember like you know on the, the, the original famicom release like their menus are pretty responsive like obviously the the thing that bugged me about the original releases of course was like how slow the text boxes are while this one is much faster but like the, the but in in general like the when you're getting around like menus like it's just like it's just like a tad less uh, responsive than i remember it being and that's kind of it's and, kind I mean, of and, that's, and that's pretty significant when this game is pretty much all in menus, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a very menu-driven. It's a strategy RPG, so it's just like, so it's like, oh, okay, I guess. And then, like, and then, like, there's really like weird big frame rate drops as well. Um, this has 30 FPS cap, and it's okay, whatever. Um, but like, it's like unstable as well. Like, for example, there's like this scene that that had a flashback, and like the opening of this flashback was like a jet uh, passing over a, a, a forest. And like you can see, like you can see, you can see like the game chugging down to like two to three FPS as that jet is going through this uh, wave of trees. Like even though you don't see like the like the jet like on screen, like you see the silhouette uh, over the trees. Like it's like you can see like the frame rate drops. It's like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Uh, and like and it's like it's still somewhat smooth like for the rest of that. And like. It's just like kind of like less smooth than like you think it being, and it's like okay, that's weird. And then there's like another weird, uh, another weird thing about this game is that like the they the Forever Entertainment uh, remastered all the tracks. Like there's new arrangements for all the tracks, and there's actually a nice feature where there's like you can hear like the the remastered tracks, and then there's like another column right beside them that's like the original version of that track, so you can compare 
them pretty much side by side of like this how it used to sound, this how it now sounds, and that like that's nice. It's like a, it's like kind of like a jukebox. But when these tracks are playing in the game, they don't loop properly. So they actually you can hear the ending of the track, and then it'll just like do another hard cut into like the beginning of the track again. It doesn't actually loop like endlessly to like me- like just keep like the the melody going, which is weird. That's one of those things where it's like when it's done properly, you don't notice it, but when it's done improperly, like, oh, that's strange. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, I, I, I don't know if this like this came in hot or something, or if they really wanted to make this um uh, or uh, get this out before the end of the year or whatever. But it's just like it's it's like it's okay as like a remake. Like the, there are like the the present the new presentation is nice with the modern uh, gameplay and like it's it's still front mission at its core when it comes to gameplay, but there's like. Just elements about it that are like kind of. It feels like it was. It came out to. It was rushed. It was so, something about it. Like it just came out too soon. I, there was no time. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this game. But it's like it just. It's. It kind of launched like it's not in an incomplete state, but it like it's something that like kind of kind of probably could have been optimized a little bit further before release. Um, it's also. <laughs> it's also one of these weird things that like where. The original character designer of this game, very iconic uh, character design, is from Yoshitaka Amano. You know, very, very famous, obviously, for the yeah, Final yeah. Fantasy series. Um, and what they did to like the, the character portraits, like that had the Amano uh, character designs in them, is like they they like made them. It's still faithful in the sense that like it's still very distinctly his, but it's like it's kind of like one of those like they blew it up and like cleaned it up, so it doesn't like it's 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 smoother than I'm, what i'm used to it's like it's like less crispy than, like if you know what i mean like but you say when you see like a mono artwork there's like a little bit of, like crisp to it while in this version it, it feels too clean and smoothened out like the like these uh faces and these portraits like it's one of those things that i kind of wish they kind of like went back and i don't know like obviously probably a mono is way too fucking expensive or has no time to like work on this but I, I just wish they like, did something to like make these character models feel more a little bit more like as crispy as they looked in the original versions. Like it feels too smooth smooth uh smoothened out in this version. Like it it's largely I don't really mind it too much, but like when I see it and I see the original, I'm like, uh it's okay, I guess. I can I can still see it, but I'm just like mm, I, I guess I'll live with it. But it's still, it's like not ideal for me, which is maybe a little bit new, too nitpicky. But it's just like it's 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 there, I guess. It's it it gets the job done. But I feel like it could have it, it kind of deserves a little bit better, in my opinion. And so yeah, I gotta I, I gotta ask, why is this game Switch exclusive? I don't know. Go ask forever entertainment. Like it's like one of those things, like the like the Panzer Dragoon remake that they did was Switch exclusive at first, I think, and then came to PC many months later. Um, I assume that's going to be the same with this game and the and the future front mission remakes that they're doing. I just, I don't know if it's like some some contract. I don't know. I don't know why it's Switch exclusive at first and then PC later or to other platforms later. I'm not sure. But in general, it's like it's okay. You know, like if you wanted to play front mission one and not like you know make it feel as um, dated as like the original, then like this is fine like you know like the free camera um it's like it's not actually like a full 360 degree like camera uh control that you have it, it feels more like 270 almost like it's not it's not you can't like flip everything 
completely uh, 360 degrees. But like it, like in the original, when there was like enemies behind buildings, um, you just had to like know that they were behind buildings, and then like you just target them, and then you'd still do them. Well, on this one, like you, you can at least flip the camera, and be like, okay, there's an enemy unit behind that building, and then I can just um, you know, attack them. And it's 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 very, I'd say it's a very straightforward game. You know, it, it's one of the it's one of those games that's like you don't have to like. It'll it'll seem very complicated at first when you get to like the hangar and like you get to a town. It's like okay, like you know you have free reign over what what parts you can uh, equip on your mech because when you get to the shop, um, you know you can outfit them with weaponry and you can outfit them with different parts and like the, these parts are like different bodies, different arms, different legs, and all of, all of these will um, change up like your total health value, your total weight because. Um, each weapon and each thing you equip has a weight uh, assigned to it, even even parts. So obviously you can't go overweight, and like it'll feel overwhelming at first. But once you like start tinkering around, like okay, what's uh, like what do these values actually mean? You know, it, it, it's a pretty straightforward um, process. But I think that's the only thing that like you know will take some time to actually um, learn, and that's not even uh, to me not really a big deal. But um, it, it, it retains the classic front mission gameplay loop. And that's all I can really hope for. I really hope that like they get like a performance patch out to really, you know, at least get this game running better on the Switch, I guess. And then hopefully, you know, when it releases maybe on the PC or other platforms, it won't yeah, be an issue there. I, I, I'm interested in playing it, but I'm like, you know what? I have plenty of other things to play in the meantime, and maybe yeah. it'll come to PC if I wait. Yeah, exactly. You know, that that's... That, hey, that's it worked my, out for Triangle um, Strategy. Yeah, yep. you know. Like, it, it, it's a completely fine experience. It's not ideal at, at, at its launch date, and I don't think it'll, like, be winning awards and, like, wherever we, de- like, wherever we decide to put it on the Game of the Year podcast. But it's it's fine. It's cool. It's still front mission, and even though there's some weird like the, between like the Lloyd and Royd thing, um, it's still you know largely functional and okay, I guess. So if I haven't played, this might be an unfair comparison to me to make, but there these are both games that I haven't played. We've got the Tactics Ogre remaster, and we've got the Front Mission remaster. The Tactics Ogre has a really strong word of mouth. And basically is well beloved and regarded almost universally. What if I wanted to play a strategy RPG in 2022 or early 2023 and I wanted to pick between one of these remasters, what are reasons that I would pick front mission? Do they exist? I mean, if you're really into customizing mech parts, you know, like that that is the one thing that front mission has over like other stra- strategy RPGs. Like it, it has it has a love for mecha customization so when you're outfitting like like just one individual mech you know you're thinking about weapons for both arms you're thinking about maybe potentially shoulder weapons or accessories on both arms and you're thinking about like customizing its body and like the and the weight load and the and like what sorts of legs because like different legs will give you different movement ranges and also different types of legs will determine how well you move on different terrain like you know, if on sandy terrain, only certain like legs can like operate at full capacity. 
at certain ter- like certain terrain like in like uh, maybe more jungle areas certain le- certain legs types of legs will operate at better than other legs um and also there are like different cover values on like each terrain tile so like if you're like positioned at a certain terrain tile that has like 20% cover you're more likely to not receive incoming damage meaning because like you're you're better covered by the terrain that you're in so if like if someone tries to target you um they're more likely to miss so that's the, that's the one thing that front mission has like over a lot of like strategy rpgs is like it's very environmental focused and it's very uh customization focused because of how how well you equip your squad uh to operate in certain types of terrains against certain types of enemies because some enemies will um try to attack you from a distance if you're attacking from a distance if you're not right by the enemy you can't counterattack. so like like missile types or enemies or missile weaponry very strong because they'll do a lot of damage and uh, but enemies cannot attack back on the, on the flip side though like attacking from afar gets you less accuracy versus like up close you'll have more accuracy but there's a chance for enemies to you know attack you back if you know obviously if their uh, arms are working so it's very it's it's a very mechanically tuned type of game it's very mechanics focused and while tactics ogre is very mechanically or just like very mechanics focused as well it excels at other uh areas that you know front mission does not does not and vice versa so it, it really depends on what flavor of strategy rpg uh you're looking for in terms of like overall user experience at the moment and like what feels more responsive obviously tactics ogre will win in that regard um also you know so it, it, so it like, sounds like tactics ogre is the more complete package basically it has no weak points it has like a strong narrative strong customization scene pretty good remaster front mission seems like it's more specifically focused on customization as like if you want to have that sort of access then that's I mean, when like, you go like for it, it. here's the thing in, in the front mission remake in this one like they didn't really change up the gameplay completely. Like unlike Tactics Ogre and Tactics Ogre, they give you that new card system in the battlefield for the right. buffs and and debuffs and so forth. Like they, like it like the flow of Tactics Ogre is completely different than what uh, what it was in p- past releases. While the Front Mission remake it retains all of that. So people who are fond of Front Mission because of its gameplay loop and like what they remember, this game still retains that. Unlike with Tactics Ogre Reborn. It is not the same game as you played before. It's very similar, but it's it's not the same game like that you remember. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I remember the card itself. system is the it was your biggest hangup when you were talking about that game on a review capacity just a few months back or a month back. Yeah, and like like it's it's like like I said like it's not a a game breaker in that game. It is annoying in certain aspects. Um, in some ways, I can enhance, enhance it, but in, but in other aspects, like in like the one-on-one bosses, for example, or like what or like very intimate encounters, like the game is not the Tactics Ogre Reborn is not built for that in mind when it comes to the card system. Like you know, those mm. just come off as frustrating and RNG. While in this one, this is the front mission that you remember, maybe a little bit tougher uh, in certain aspects. It's I I don't remember in the in the original release of Red Mission, but in this game, there's like a lot of like um multiple difficulty options like a lot of the higher difficulties like are a lot but there's like your you have your standard like easy normal hard and then like it'll actually tell you like the modifiers for each difficulty when you hover over them so like when you go to hard there's it'll say like plus 20 percent uh hp modifier to enemies 
so you'll know they have more um things while like in like the one of the hardest difficulties in the in like in front mission uh first remake is like it'll give them like like plus 900 percent like any and like plus an insane attack modifier to them so at least you know up front what you're signing up for if you're choosing that difficulty as well it's like the it, it very clearly tells you these are the numbers that we're changing which is just uh, pretty funny to see it's like okay well i'm not I, i'm <laughs> i don't want that much punishment okay <laughs> well in general it just seems like with these remasters like factory sober even minstrel song or front mission that not in every case, absolutely, but in a lot of cases, there's just a lot more transparency in some of the behind the scenes or behind the curtain workings on what does hard mode actually mean? Oh, yeah, the enemies will deal this much more damage or or things like that. Yeah. So I would say right now, you know, there, there might be there, there might be probably going to be a, a future. Um, Front Mission first week is probably going to come out on like PC eventually. So maybe probably sometime next year. Hopefully, like the performance is way, way better there, and that's what I probably recommend because it's still a, an enjoyable game. It's just like I don't know what they're gonna do about like the optimization things, hangups that I have with the Switch version at this point. I don't know if they're just gonna leave it as B and like that, that's what it is, or if they're actually gonna go, go back and like try to tune it up better. So clearly, what we gotta do is we gotta get Adam to buy Front Mission Remake on the Switch because as soon as he does, it'll be announced for PC. Yep. Yep. Well, get on well, it I, right now. Well, I I say that kind of glimly, uh, glumly, but uh, it, for he he was patient on Triangle Strategy, and that came out without him having to buy it on Switch. So maybe we'll see it on PC. But otherwise, it does seem like it's a pretty good fit for Switch. And I don't know. There's been a lot of games recently uh, that, like even Harvestella or uh, Monster Hunter Rise, up until this week, uh, kind of weird Switch PC hybrid seems like to be like the release platform of choice for a lot of these titles. Uh, but more on that later. All right. So before we get into the news section, there is one last game to talk about here. And this one, uh, this discussion will tie into a feature that we do have up on the site. And it's a game we've talked about recently on the podcast in a few different, um, contexts. So it's not going to be a new, new topic to the podcast. And that is for Marvel's Midnight Suns. So we talked about this on the podcast back when Scott was able to preview the game uh, late in the summer, and then also when Josh was able to speak to the game on a limited basis uh, just a couple weeks ago. But now up on the site, uh, our one written review that we've got up in the last seven days is Josh's review for Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is released on PC and the next-gen consoles with uh or current in consoles on ps5 and xbox series with pending releases for the ps4 and switch and xbox one so uh, josh was able to put up his review for marvel's midnight suns and i do know that josh has had the opportunity to speak to this game previously on the podcast but now that he's had a chance to finish the game and put up his formal review uh from us from an outsider's perspective it seems like uh you were a lot more positive on this than i kind of expected you to be so maybe that was just my expectations were in a bad in a bad space. So here's a chance to talk about what your kind of what your final thoughts on Marvel's Midnight Suns were and what you think about that kind of going into uh, a surprise December release for the year. Yeah, um, if it's a shame that this was a December release because if this was if this was eligible for a Game of the Year podcast, I'd probably you know would like to see it in the top ten there. To be honest, mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed my time with this game. 
Um, you know, I kind of spell it out my review, but like, th- while this is like, you know, obviously from Firaxis games, very love with uh, Jake Solomon, the XCOM 2 uh, creative director on it, this game is very much not like XCOM in the sense of like how the gameplay uh, goes. You know, we've talked about it a, a few times on the podcast about how the gameplay is like much more wide open, not very cover based. But uh, in general, like, it's just, it's just been, uh, it was a joy to play the game every time, like, I got like, to play the game like uh, ba- through the battle system because i think um i think i think the the one thing about this game that like it kind of soured me and i did um spell it out in my review is that the the time in between missions like going from battle to battle um feels a bit too long because this game operates like a, a day-to-day cycle once the, the gameplay loop gets going and i kind of spell out you know everything that like you kind of do in an in-game day so like you know, you have the original character, the the hunter wakes up at this abbey and like you go about your day, like before you even get to like to the mission table and like undertake a mission, like there are things like you gotta you you, you probably wanna do to like get ready for it, which is like you gotta go check like the, the central war room and go send a, a hero to a hero up there. Then you gotta go uh jog on over to like another place to like open up card packs that you got from missions and then um, start new researches at there and do some other stuff there. Then you go jog on over to another place, uh, like the yard, and then that, that's where you actually upgrade cards, uh, do like your daily sparring to get some friendship points there, and you know, uh, do some other stuff there. And then, like, once you're done with like those three things, now you can go to the mission table. And like, it's like a, like a good maybe seven to eight minutes. Uh, like if you're doing it on, on a pretty fast pace, and this is not even counting like you know any sort of like character events that like will pop up. Like say a, a character wants some advice on something, you know, and you just give them a response because you might get like a a light or dark alignment bonus or friendship XP for them if you answer a certain way. And then like you talk, go talk to another character with like a, a exclamation mark in, uh, ahead of them because they want you to do like some small mini side quest thing for like um you know some sort of reward and 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 like there might be like an event there like because you're you've leveled up a friendship with the character you have to go see that scene to level them up uh you know because you want to level up their friendship because they gain more passive abilities um through that uh and so forth and that adds on like another two to three minutes you're talking you're you're thinking like maybe 10 minutes in between missions and like i like that these all of these things that you're doing are useful in in terms of like bolstering like you know like your capabilities in battle. I just wish like that this was this was all could be done in a big menu and like so like if you just access the menu and like say okay these are here if you go to this big menu here are like the menu options for this facility and then go scroll on down and then here are the option menus for this facility then go scroll on down and then option menus for this facility if this was all could all be like just done throughout a big menu that would be such a, such like a better experience for me personally because like I don't like this whole like era that we're like we've been shifting to of like hey all the menu important menus in the game you have to like walk on over to them in the 3D space with your like character like, so maybe this more... is obvious, but you know, uh-huh. I'm going to sound like a boomer, but you know what this immediately makes me think of? Uh-huh. So Fire Emblem series, the mm-hmm. Tellius games that had the base conversations 
where it was basically just that where you'd speak with you'd have the info conversation with your party members in a menu and you'd do forging of your equipment in a menu and then replacing that with three houses where you had this monastery where you actually had to like do all the same things but actually like run to the physical location maybe this is just me being a weeb or me being having a limited amount of uh experience playing non-jrpgs i guess but like I remember when I was playing Three Houses, I'm like, man, why couldn't all this monastery stuff just be a menu like it was back in the day or, or whatever? So I, I kind of I haven't played Midnight Suns based on the demo that we've seen based uh, on Scott's experience and you having a chance to talk about it. I do kind of feel that where it's like I don't when they were marketing Midnight Suns, they spent a lot of effort and time talking about you make your own character and you get to spend time with these other heroes, uh, you know, all your favorite Marvel heroes and in this in this abbey or, or things like that. And maybe that really sings to some people. But for me, I, I'm kind of with you where I'm just like, just I, I've played enough turn-based RPGs or round-based RPGs or classic games where I'm 100% okay just putting this in a menu and letting my mind fill in the gaps or provide the... Uh, provide the interstitials rather than having it actually be an explorable 3d space, which just ends up making it take longer. I think just the, the amount of benefit or drawback versus benefit doesn't quite match for what I would like, but you know, I'm not, yeah, like I, I'm even fine. of just like having the menu stuff, like, like the facility menu stuff be what they are. Like, I just like, just have them be in a big menu while all the character interaction stuff, like leave that as is. And like, those are the only things that you have to go travel towards to like, you know, hang out with like your you're like the the, the marvel person because actually because like the actual like character interactions that you you have with like as this original character hunter person like they're pretty decent like the character writing in this game is actually like kind of a, a nice change of pace of like marvel superhero uh depictions because you know a lot of people when they think of marvel superheroes you know they think of the mcu they think of how they're depicted in the comics they think of like their favorite like you know 90s tv show and a lot of that a, a lot of those, you know, depictions, especially in the MCU, it's all about like, you know, the the like living up to the legend, living up to like what this person has done. Like it's 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 more so about like the theatrics as a superhero and less about like, you know, what they've done as a person. While and like in, in Midnight Suns, what I really liked is like when you're checking in on like Wolverine or Blade, for example, like these characters that have had like very like you you know them from other forms of media they've had very very like violent like upbringings like their origin story you know where they've come from in this game like most of these heroes you check in on them like after like the most chaotic parts of their life like it's, that's already been gun and done they've, they've already grown as people out of it so they're like they're kind of like more mellow versions of these characters that like are like kind of past their heyday and i really like that framing because like they get a chance to like kind of reflect upon them and like like how, how they've like grown as characters in a more natural sense because like the, the the nice thing about like this hunter character is like they're like this hunter person is like is a legend is like they had like they have three centuries ago they they the they did uh killed like the main threat that was like resurrected resurrected in this game so even like among like the marvel superheroes like they, like this hunter person is already a big deal so like you know like this hunter character isn't like isn't really real um starstruck by like the legends of these characters they're kind of like other people that you fight alongside with so like you kind of get to a, a glimpse of like their life behind like the mask and all, all that sort of stuff so it's kind of like a nice like 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 it's not like blade being like always like like uh thinking about like slaying vampires and the next like 
thing that he wants to kill next. You know, it's more like Blade's like like settled down. It's like, yeah, I just want to fucking chill. You know, like it's in kind of a crazy fucking life that I've lived, and like now I'm just thinking about like you know like the, the new family that I have here. Like it's like he has like his kind of best buds with Robbie Ray's uh, Ghost Rider. You know, and uh, with with, uh, with Magic and uh, Nico Minoru, and like uh, and Wolverine Logan. He's like, yeah, I'm like not really part of like the the X Men anymore in terms of like it's not part of like the institute, you know. But he still has like you know pretty okay memories. But he's like still, but he's still like in that phase of his life where he's like kind of like wandering from place to place. But he's not like super violent about like every person that he sees. He doesn't like distrust every person that he sees. You know, he's like he's already had like forged some relationships with these characters, um, like you know with past events that's like happened in this game. So it's like you're 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 going into this game as part of like an ongoing world already so like all these uh heroes have like relationships with one another good and bad you know like what are what are like the main like like conflicts that arises in this game like that goes on here to happy headquarters is like the avengers um hero group like like consisting of like doctor strange iron man um captain america captain marvel etc Versus like the Midnight Suns, which are like kind of like the more inexperienced, more youthful heroes that are trying to prove themselves, which is like Nico Minoru, Magic, Ghost Rider, Blade, you know, like the and the, and like the the, the Midnight, Midnight Suns are kind of like more of a family group that like look out for one another and less of like a professional superhero organization like Avengers. So like when the Avengers go into the Abbey to establish their base of operations after losing Doctor Strange's Sanctum, um, you know, they kind of like operate like kind of like they own the place because that's like the, how they are like the avengers tower um well meanwhile the midnight times are like what the fuck this is our home like you can't just go in here and like you know act like you own the place and whatnot and like it's like that that's like an interesting like conflict that they have that like that builds up throughout the game and like that's a central like focus of it and like and because they're frustrated like you know the midnight suns and the, and the avengers will like will make mistakes because they like underestimate like the abilities of like group members and like uh, seeing group dynamics like um evolve over time as events happen throughout the game and seeing how that relationship you know progresses is like a pretty like compelling thing that they earn like you know as you uh as you get to know these characters as you get to know you know the struggles that they have like there are certain like heroes that are corrupted by like lilith the big baddie so like a lot like some of them like go through like really really like stressful like um arcs throughout the game because you know some of their best friends or some that they call family are like corrupted and like brainwashed and like and to see that like the, the, the other group is not having them as the main focus because the other group is like seeing like the overall picture and like they don't mention like that corrupted person as much because it's like one of those things that it's a given that we're gonna go get them but like they don't ever like make it like one of their main talking points when ta- talking about like their next um operation and so forth in general sense. it seems like marvel's midnight suns is not a game that i would play for story it'd be a game that i'd play more for the gameplay and i know uh alex donaldson is a big XCOM fan and Firaxis fan and the way he summarized this is basically that Firaxis doesn't miss in terms of making a compelling gameplay loop and focusing on the strategy element to it but what you're talking about in terms of the way these stories interact I actually really like the fact that these characters that you're not just kind of getting a weird abbreviated 
origin story for each character. They're they're already like established. They've already got their network of peers and allies, and you're kind of just a part. You're a participant and an and an onlooker, and you're not there to witness every single major event of these characters being who they are. They're a more mellow version of themselves, and I, I enjoy when a game doesn't feel like it has to make you the center of attention where you're where you have to see every major event and every participating character's story because you are the protagonist and therefore you get that right i'd rather have a game that has the world have its its participants kind of established and you're you kind of see it at, at a moment in time and some of these people have history with the others and that that the way that you've described it actually makes me like as someone who does I'll be honest, I just do not care about Marvel. I have not seen any of it, but just I'm glad that it doesn't say like, here's how Blade came to be. or Here's how Captain Marvel came to be. Here's how Doctor Strange came to be, because they could have easily just made it so that every character you see like a weird abbreviated version of their origin story. Instead, you get uh, a more natural, compelling, I mean, hopefully compelling interaction between like the veteran cast and the newer cast and how they have different priorities and have seen different levels of, of strife or whatever. So the way you've described it actually sounds like while I wouldn't play this game, probably for its story, it sounds like if I were going to design a story for this game, this is what I would want to see. Yeah. It's also like, it's also like one of the early like story beats about this game is like venom, you know, Spider-Man's arch nemesis, you know, like he's like one of the first ones to like fall corrupted to Lilith. And like, Everyone but Spider-Man is like, yeah, let's go fuck up Venom, you know? Like, he's been corrupted, we gotta take out Venom, big threat. And, like, Peter Parker's like, bro, like, I just, like, it sucks what happened, but, like, there's a person behind Venom, there's Eddie Brock, you know? Like, he's the only one out of the whole group, like, sees Venom, like, the the person behind Venom, you know? It's like, like, I know everyone's, like, gung-ho about, like, taking out Venom, but, like, I'm just, like, kind of concerned. Like, Eddie Brock and I didn't have the, the best relationship, but... You know, I just want to see him safe out of all of this. You know, like I don't—I'm not here to try, to try and kill Venom. I'm trying to like, you know, get Eddie Brock out of this situation. And it's like it's a really heartfelt moment about that because, like, well, everyone's like thinking about like how to fucking take out Venom. Spidey's so like, like I want to be the one to do this because I want to make sure that like Eddie's all right. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like actually interestingly compelling. In that that's it's like, yeah, you know what? That's the, you're right. You know. It's like that's that, that that's kind of an uh it's it's an element of the of Midnight Suns that I wasn't expecting to really like grip me, but it did. It actually earned it in a, in a pretty awesome way, and I think a lot of the the English voice talent in this game is really good. Like Ro- Robbie Ray's uh, the the voice talent for him really good. Um, it's just it's who's awesome, voicing you know? Spidey's Spidey's in this one? Who's voicing him? Yeah, in this one? I don't know off the top of my head. I didn't actually like go check of, like a, a, a VA list. It might be up somewhere, but I'm not exactly sure. Like I saw the credits, but I didn't commit to memory who was voicing what, uh, unfortunately. But I, I came out of it thinking, one, wow, there's a lot of fucking voice dialogue in this game. A lot of it. Uh, and two, a lot of the voice line delivery is like, sounds pretty earnest. Like... Especially, it's, especially it, it seems like it cast. is Yuri Lowenthal in okay. Midnight Suns for Spider-Man, which okay. matches the uh, the Sony published games. Nice, nice. But yeah, it's it's um, you know, did a good job, and it's uh for people who are a fan of strategy games, like I think this is a a pretty awesome one to pick up. I've already talked about like you know in pa- in the past podcast that I was previewing this game, like how the battle system worked and the, like a lot of like how each hero fe- feels different and, uh, and distinct and interesting to play as like i have 
several friends who have started to play this and they're like yeah you're completely right that like uh, so far every hero i've met are like different and interesting to play as like there's like no there's like no right team like there's not like oh this team will demolish everything it's more uh, like how it like it, you're th- you're thinking more about like like does this group like how well do they synergize together what sorts of interesting strategies can i like formulate because i brought this team along i never i whenever whenever i was like constructing a team for like the incoming mission like i never thought about like oh let me go to my my, my tried and true three favorites it was more about like i want to try this person next and see how well they synergize with this i've never used this hero before like i want to try them out and see how well they do and like it's always, it was always fun it never felt like it's like oh fuck i brought in like the wrong three party members it's more like oh it's pretty interesting how like this co- this uh ability of theirs like synergizes with this and how and like if i if i like chain these two together it'll actually like lead to like something pretty significant out on the battlefield to, like uh bring the tide into my favor and that's like that's really good that's i think that's a the, the a really really great way to go about um playing the game i'd say and I, I'm glad that like it. I, there was a lot of like uncertainty like going into this game. I was like, I really like the XCOM games, but I think like this is going to be like a really really big, um, ambitious thing for Firaxis to overcome with this game. And they, they did it. They did it. I think it was a, it's a really fun, compelling game to play. And I think, you know, uh, next year when when like this is eligible, like I would like to see it potentially on the top 10 for next year when it's eligible for a game of the year list because I think this is a really strong game. Yeah, and I've never really known you to be a big Marvel fan or a big strategy fan. Maybe I just didn't know you that well, but the fact that you are speaking highly of this makes me more interested to honestly look at it. The fact that I don't I don't think of you as someone who just is um, generous to Marvel games for any particular reason, but it sounds like something about this game is just really sung to you. So I'm interested in kind of seeing like, all right, like, Maybe I don't have the Marvel affinity, but I can dive in here and I've played the XCOM and I've enjoyed strategy games in general. So this is something that might have something that really sings to me as well. So I yeah, agree that, with you. That's one of the first things like, I, I mentioned there's reviews like you don't have to be a Marvel fan to enjoy this game. Sure, it'll help it like with the like general conversation, like things that they mentioned, but like you know, above all else of this game, like it's the strategy gameplay that really kept me coming back um for it. And uh, like you don't need to be a Marvel fan to like appreciate this game which is i thought you would have to be but no you mm-hmm. no, you totally did not well thank you josh for going over your final opinions on marvel's midnight suns and again we do have the written review up on rpgsite.net for josh's full review for marvel's midnight suns as a early december release we will not be discussing that game uh at any significant length for next year on the podcast or for next week on the game of the year podcast but yeah we'll See if more people play through it by early next January or February before we get, you know, swarmed in the continual deluge of releases. But it'd be interesting to see if this ends up, you know, sticking around and having a good impression on other members of uh, our staff. And if we'll be talking about it in a year from now for the 2023 deliberations. But it seems like it's a really strong strategy game for whether you're a Marvel fan or not. So I'm interested to seeing uh, whether it's within the context of the Tetracast or not, what sort of word of mouth this game has uh, going forward. And it's going to be continually supported with uh, post-game characters and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see like what they do. And of course, the, uh, the Switch and other console releases uh, right. early yeah, next year. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly how the console performance is. I only uh, play this on PC. Um, I know, uh, like, I thought this was going to be a problem exclusive to me, but I've heard a few friends have it. 
But you know, I I did mention uh, like some of the bugs in this game that I uh, came across. One of the most significant ones was this game would sometimes crash when I tried to overwrite a save, um, which I heard good. like ha- which I which I heard happens like in XCOM as well at times. So definitely kind of like sharing some lineage there. So what I ha- what I had to start doing was like just start making new save file save slot files and um, deleting old ones because there's a certain limit. So. Going like I was able to bypass it through that uh, through that way, which is like I I didn't know pre-release if that was just like a me thing or just gonna be like a common thing and looks to be like you know something that other people have uh, run into at least for the PC release. Um, two, like <laughs> it was a, it, this was a pretty funny bug. It, it was a little irritating, but it was also pretty funny. And like the the final uh, battle in the game, it's a, it's a it's a pretty long one, um, but like. There were certain aspects, uh, times in that battle where the, the the my frame rate would just like fucking just tank. Like like it, it was like an enemy would take their turn and like my 60 FPS would go down to like fucking 22 to 21. And it, it would just like stay there. It would remain there after that enemy took its turn. And I'm like, okay, I want my frames back. So I'd have to like go do a bid combat save file, return to the main menu and load that up again. And then my frames would ret- return. So yeah, that's like all I have to really say about Midnight Suns. I really enjoyed my time with it. I think, uh, you know, yeah, I understand like the the, the price point and now maybe the the sixty dollar price point is for a lot. And you know, XCOM has historically gone on discount, uh, you know, many times throughout its life uh, lifespan. So you know, I'd say even at a lower price point, if you're just waiting for a price drop in this game, I think it's still worth you know waiting for that and playing this game. I think it, I think it is like one of the most interesting like Marvel projects they've done in like recent years, and I it, it actually makes me want me to like it having a season pass and like having new heroes and maybe getting a story expansion. Like it make I, I kind of want to revisit this game when all of that is out. Well, thank you, Josh, for talking about your final experience with Marvel's Midnight Suns, a game that we want to make sure doesn't fall through the cracks as we go into 2023, especially now that it is in consideration for the Game of the Year deliberations from 12 months from now. So we'll keep that on the uh, in the back of our mind as we look forward to that, even though we'll have to put it aside for our deliberations that are pending in the next week. All right, we're going into our last news section for the year. And I know I say this way too often. It ends up not being true, but there's not a lot of news this week. Uh, This week seems like the main focus is a lot of trailers for upcoming games in 2023. Uh, A few patches and at least one sales update. The main news, and this this is a news topic headline that now that I read it, I'm surprised that I wasn't thinking about it earlier. And this is about Monster Hunter Rise. So I play most games nowadays either on my PC or on Switch, which are the two platforms that Monster Hunter Rise and Sunbreak have released on. And even though I was aware of this being truth, I did not kind of think about, oh yeah, Monster Hunter Rise isn't on Xbox or PlayStation, despite the fact that World sold gangbusters on those two consoles. Well, it turns out that Monster Hunter Rise is releasing for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series, and Xbox One, next year on January 20th. So that's January 20th, 2023. Interestingly enough, this is just base Monster Hunter Rise where the Sunbreak expansion will follow on those consoles in spring of next year. And then of course, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak has had a lot of post-launch support. So I assume that those will also 
kind of be doled out in the spring and beyond for PlayStation uh, and Xbox consoles for Monster Hunter Rise. So we're kind of in this weird space where Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, after after Monster Hunter World basically spent its whole release cycle kind of having this weird offset between the console release and PC release, between Switch and PC, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak was the first time that it had a like inline day and date update to both consoles, except that now it's not the case anymore because we're going to have, again, this kind of lag for the Xbox and PlayStation consoles. Uh, and still, obviously, I know the one thing that a lot of people have been wondering is, well, what about cross-play, cross-save? Still status quo on that front. Uh, as far as I can tell, there this is going to be a standalone for those console owners. Uh, people who have been playing Monster Hunter on either PC or Switch will not be able to play with the um, Xbox or PlayStation release. But as still aside, good to have this. Go ahead. As an aside, a buddy of mine has a... Um a theory why the cross save cross play was uh at well not axed uh because that would but never implemented. That they were never implemented uh amiibos there's amiibo content in uh monster Hunter rise and if you had cross save that would mean that you'd be able to get a, have access to that on pc or maybe not or maybe somebody could like do a save edit on pc and then transfer it over to switch and then the game thinks oh you have the amiibo and nintendo is like you're not doing this. I guess Maybe. that makes some sense. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, the, I think, I think, I think the, the news about this is cool that more people will play Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, that's cool because it's a, it's a fun game. I think everything else surrounding it is kind of like one step forward, three steps back. <laughs> that's what I, that, that's how I feel about this because the, like you said earlier, I don't know why the Sunbreak expansion is gonna follow like the release of the base game instead of just being with the base game uh, day and date. Like I have no idea why it's pushed back once again. So it's like, like, like the like the earlier like uh, you know base world uh, iSport expansion later type deal that they had in the past. Um, it could and- be that Sunbreak had a uh, further like uh, exclusivity period for uh, Switch and PC. Because going by the Capcom leaks, the whole reason why it only came to PC later and it's only coming to consoles now was because Nintendo paid like eight million or something for like a limited time exclusivity. I don't know why you just like have pushed back the base release after that contract period. So you release it all together just to make it less of a headache for everyone. Um, Two... um, it, like the whole cross play cross save um situation is like kind of frustrating as well like even if it's like be- even if it's just cross play between PlayStation and Xbox platforms now it's just more let's let's do this whole song and dance again of um you know PlayStation owners together and then Xbox owners together and that's it it's especially so- dumb is that this is coming to Game Pass PC too that's an entirely different PC version that won't have uh connectivity with the steam release oh yeah that's true and but it will have crossplay with the xbox version okay <laughs> but it, but it's like if if you wanted to play this game on pc you've probably statistically already bought it on pc it sold really well yeah it's just i don't know i don't know why they keep doing this song and dance uh it's just so i hope they get this all cleaned up by the next major Hunter game but they probably won't i mean they, they they still didn't fucking do cross save support when um, Monster Hunter Rise 
you know was was coming to uh, PC later than the Switch version. So of I, course I had, to, I, had to, I had to go do that again. And you know it's not it's not like a, a technological thing because there are PC games that had cross save support with their Switch releases. You, I you, so it's just I'm not sure if I'm quite as. Uh pessimistic about this as you i feel like this this whole situation with playstation and xbox is very much a situation because of the nintendo thing and the whole sunbreak stuff i I don't know it could it could be because of like a a longer exclusivity period with nintendo it could be something as simple as well we don't want to overwhelm players or blah 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 or maybe oh well we're releasing this on game pass now so we're going to give it a few months and then it's like oh we want to sell this separately because we're putting it on game pass and i think that's probably the more likely situation where if they had some break included from day from day one they wouldn't be able to do that but if they have just the base game come out and then some break later only the base game is on game pass that way it's like the first hit's free and if people want to keep playing, then they have to buy Sunbreak. Maybe, I mean, maybe, but I, but 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 I feel like I've I've seen this song and dance with Capcom so many times that just like I'm uh, like you said, I'm very pessimistic with like how the Monster Hunter team does the uh, releases things. Like I thought they were they were on a good thing with uh, the the simultaneous day and date release with Sunbreak on on PC and Switch. And I was like, okay, they maybe this is a good good side of things to come. And then immediately following that, it's this poor shit it's just like okay yeah it's one of those things where two things first of all like i'd rather they release it on the the other consoles late than not at all but it's hard for me just to put myself in that mind space because of what i said where i play almost all my games on pc or switch where like i'd have no idea like how big is the monster hunter community on playstation like how big of an audience is there saying like finally rise is releasing on ps5 like i'm sure significant just because i'm not in that space and i can't like feel that intuitively but i'd rather that this happen late but it is one of those things where i kind of agree with josh where i really hope monster hunter world 2 or whatever they're going to call it monster hunter 6 is i'd really like just a pc console everything lined up here it is multi-platform because we've seen that do so well for world even though they had that i remember the the most difficult and probably my worst review on the site that i've ever written is the monster hunter world iceborne pc review because at that point we had been through the song and dance through uh iceborne's entire monster hunter world's entire like release cadence where the base game released then it released on pc then Iceborne released, then Iceborne released on PC. So at that point, it was kind of like, here we are again. Here's a late a late port transition. And now we're kind of doing the same thing with Sunbreak finally, or Rise and then Sunbreak finally coming to the other consoles. So it, I'd almost be like thankful and surprised if Monster Hunter 6 or whatever it's called is just day and date everywhere. And it's a it's cross-play, play, cross-play, <laughs> cross-play, you know, like at the very least cross-play, God forbid, cross-save as well. You know, mm-hmm. just have to, just have things all fucking neat and tidy. You know, your game will be fucking mega successful and um, very active and healthy for years to come without, uh, you know, isolated like communities, console communities, and please PC communities. You know, only having to be able to play with one another and like we've. I feel I feel like we've we we're still in this like weird transition period of like when developers are able to like realize hey maybe we should like do crossplay you know <laughs> maybe we should do that like we see more and more people do it like it, it feels like a very slow and very gradual process but that 
If you like, it's one of those things. Like you see more and more, you see fucking Call of Duty do it, and you're just like, maybe we should do that, or we should make this more of a headache for everyone. And just Josh, like, you know what I just realized that what? might be enough to make you be a bit more positive about the situation or possible situation with Monster Hunter Six. Uh-huh. Uh, remember which team is actually handling Street Fighter now, and what Street Fighter Six has. That's true. Ah, fuck, please, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, even internally, that, like you said, even Capcom's uh, with Street Fighter Six, you know, multiple platforms, simultaneous uh, release date, well, uh, supposedly. I don't, we don't know the release date yet, but pro- probably simultaneous launch between them. And even with the closed betas that they're running, it's all fully cross-play. And that is the Monster Hunter team now. Like, the Monster Hunter team has jurisdiction over Street Fighter these days. It's like, I don't, I don't fucking understand. So, hopefully... I really like, do it, think this one situation is an anomaly that comes... That's basically just coming all the way around back because of the exclusivity contract they had with Nintendo. I really do think that this is weird. It's not ideal... But I think in the grand scheme of things, it's going to be whatever. That was odd. Next game should be fine. I really hope so. I really hope uh, whatever new Monster Hunter thing they're cooking up, this better not be a problem. Because if it, if we're going to do this song and dance again for that, I'll just I'll roll my eyes again and be like, all right. I mean, I'll still play it and enjoy it with friends. But it's it's going to be one of those things like, well, you know, this could have been so much better handled. But, you know. That is, how is um I forgot uh, if they announced this or not, but how is uh, EA's Wild Hearts doing things with in terms of like are they supporting crossplay or cross play. full crossplay? So yeah, if if, if the next Monster Hunter does not fucking deliver that and you see Wild Hearts doing it, it's like what the fuck are we doing? I gotta say, like I, I gotta imagine Koei Tecmo and EA are pretty happy that with this announcement, it sounds like it's uh. Yeah, sure. It's they're releasing a Monster Hunter on the console platforms at around the same time as Wild Hearts, but um, it does mean that the next major Monster Hunter is definitely not 2023. Probably, if I were to guess, it's gonna be 2024 and possibly even like holiday 2024. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And that honestly is our only major headline of the week. And like I suggested, a lot of these other. news posts are basically trailers for upcoming games uh so we'll just kind of go through these a few of these are more interesting than others the first one is one of our february releases for next year that i know adam specifically is looking forward to is labyrinth of galleria the moon society so the last time we talked about this game but i believe in early october they released uh, and by they i mean nice america released a story trailer for this game which James originally jumped in and said, don't watch this. It's It would ruin your experience. Uh, so basically, that's kind of where we left that. But this trailer that we released, that we had released just now, is a gameplay-focused trailer. Uh, but maybe I'll hand this one off to Adam. So I know that these games are dungeon crawlers. And to me, as someone who doesn't play a lot of these... Um, a lot of these dungeon crawlers, I'll just kind of be honest, look a lot of this look the same. So maybe you can draw on your experience with... Uh, labyrinth of refrain and what you see on this trailer like what is one thing that labyrinth of galleria seems like it does that other dungeon crawlers don't do or maybe that labyrinth of galleria or at least this series of games does better than other dungeon crawlers on a gameplay perspective 
Well, to be fair, or to be honest, I should say, I haven't watched this trailer, but really, the I guess the thing that the thing that um, Galleria, or I guess I should say, Refrain does more than other dungeon crawlers is um, instead of just having like a four or five or six person party, you have like up to what is it like thirty uh, dolls that you can use um, in, pu- in putting together your party. And it's just got like a little bit of a different construction that way. And then there's a little bit of a visual novel flair to it. There's a lot of story. And also um, some of the like dungeon design is a little bit, it's because it's actually, actually such a small thing, but in Refrain, you can like break open walls in the dungeon and create your own paths. And uh, most dungeon callers, you can't do that. And it's sort of a small thing, but um, it kind of changes the flow of the game quite a bit. So, you know, it, it is a dungeon crawler. But it it does have its own little, its own flair. I assume Galleria is similar to Refrain in structure. Uh, I, I do know. know. Remember when we talked about Refrain, which ended up being in our top five of the year that released. The uh, the main conceit of that game's gameplay was the fact that you would like pair your groups, your units up in groups. Uh, and I I'm looking at this trailer here, and it looks like it's five groups of three, at least in like your front line. So I'm assuming that as someone who hasn't played Refrain, that that's kind of a borrowed gameplay mechanic from the initial game yeah that's what i meant by having 30 i think you can have like 15 people up front and maybe even more in the back i don't quite remember exactly but it's a lot but yeah i know that obviously james has spoken really highly of this game multiple people have spoken really highly of uh of refrain back when it released uh was it 2019 2018 uh so this is so yeah so this is a game kind of uh, out of all the dungeon crawlers that release, like I know we've also got like Labyrinth of Zengetsu and a few others that we're looking forward to next year. Uh, this one seems like it's at the top of the list as a uh, as an early uh, an earlier release uh, in February. And but just yeah, to be clear, the, uh, I didn't I didn't not watch the trailer just because it's I'm not interested in it. It's like well I'm going to be playing it anyway. I don't need to see the trailer. No, that makes sense. And I'd rather this gameplay trailer. I know sometimes there's gameplay air quotes trailers that don't really do that. This game, this trailer looks like it is very clearly focused on gameplay, so it's not a misnomer in this case. Some of the other trailers that we got, we also got a gameplay trailer for the upcoming English release of Loop Eight: Summer of Gods. Now, however, this gameplay trailer, this is the one from uh, being published by Exceed and Marvelous. If you're in Europe, uh, this gameplay trailer seems to be the sort that is primarily story uh though i suppose it has some visual novel elements so that is gameplay in this respect though there is a like a a little snippet of some of the battle gameplay as well in the second half of the trailer uh as you know in addition to some of the visual novel elements that occupy the first half of the trailer i will say though that this trailer doesn't seem to run very well in like in terms of just like frame rate i don't know if that's a stylistic choice because i know sometimes they do specific things with the frame rate to try to make it more emulate like an anime animation like refresh so i don't know if that's a deliberate choice here or if that's just something that i'm seeing on the trailer yeah, but no uh, that's and, always been like in every trailer for this game and i still can't tell if it's stylistic or it's like that's actually just how it is <laughs> i just like yeah mm. it's on, so like sometimes that sort of styling is done really well like i'm thinking like uh into the spider-verse where they deliberately kind of i say mm. mess with but i know it's a lot more technical and artistic than that where they deliberately deliberately manipulate the frame rate to try to evoke a certain movement feel that makes it 
uh, I know that's a obviously a visual presentation in a movie, but I know a few games have done that as well, like uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. I know does some of that similar sort of yeah. style. So I don't know if they're trying to do the same thing here, but just the result isn't as consistent. But when I'm watching some of the gameplay here, I'm just like, why is the frame rate bad? Oh, maybe they're maybe it's deliberate. <laughs> it's kind of my. Uh, I still think uh, it's weird that the Western publishers are still saying uh, this is spring 2023 instead of an actual date when they're uh, when Marvelous in Japan has like deliberately said in their press release for this game that this game is coming out with the help of Exceed Games on Steam on March 30th, 21st. Like they actually gave a, a like a date for it already, like the Western version, unless mm-hmm. like there's like something weird in communication on that. But like, as far as I know, like even the Japanese publisher or the, is already like, yeah, this is the day and date of like the Western version. And the Western publisher is like, oh, it's still spring 2023. So I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck's going on with the release of this game in the West. So it's it's likely gonna be maybe not if if not day and date, but within the same window of the, of a late March release. I mean, we don't know for certain, but the the, the communication's a bit unclear. But yeah, yeah March twenty first, yeah, March twenty first in Japan. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. the PlayStation, Xbox One, and Switch version in Japan are March sixteenth, and then the Steam version on PC is March twenty first. It's all been conveyed by Marvelous Japan. And then Marvelous Japan, in an earlier press release, like stated that like the date of the uh, Steam version, uh, the March 21st, is like with the help of Exceed Games, or like by Exceed Games. And it's just like, okay, does that mean that like are we waiting for Exceed to like announce the Western release date? So then we were waiting for that, and then they, they, they've been silent up until this point, and then they're still saying Spring 2023. Sort of like, I guess, sure. <laughs> I don't know. So it's uh it's fun. Uh, it, it's kind fun. of interesting to like read between the lines, and then like in a, in a month from now, when we learn that the release date in the West is the same, we're very close dates. It's like oh surprise, That's crazy. there it is. Wow. <laughs> yep. So it looks like this will be a, a an early spring release for next year. Uh, for those that kind of like the uh, it's visual novel hybrid RPG esque flavor on this one. And then the last two trailers we've got this week are more story-focused trailer, though one of them does have some gameplay. The bigger of the two is probably the upcoming December release of Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. They're calling this a launch trailer because it's releasing on December 13th. Uh, I have not watched this trailer, but I have played Crisis Core, so I have no really reason to watch it. But I've heard that this trailer is surprised, like most Square Enix launch trailers, very, very spoilery. So if you have not played Crisis Core, if you're new to the Final Fantasy VII bandwagon with the uh, remake, but you're interested in Crisis Core, maybe don't watch this launch trailer. <laughs> um, and I, I do know, I haven't followed up on it, but I do know that some people are curious about wondering whether this is going to, in very Nomura Square Enix fashion, have like new new deets on story elements uh, from this game and how it's going to tie into both remake and rebirth and what it's doing with some of these characters like Zach fair and things like that, like whether it's going to have new endings or new content. Uh, so people who have early access to the game, might be able to speak to that, but I'm just going in blind and I've not watched this trailer, but it's for those that are Zach fair fans or new fans of Final fantasy seven mythos. It's got some gameplay, but it's primarily story focused. I'm I really, I need to go like bug some people like, well, how does the game runs on steam deck? Because if I'm going to like, if I want to play this game, like it'll be during a time where I won't have like my PC and my PlayStation console because I'll be like I don't know if I mentioned on this this podcast but I'm gonna be moving soon and the moving mm-hmm. company uh the like you know will be pick everything up that I have 
before this game launches. So uh, the only gaming devices I'll have on me, besides like my really shitty laptop that I don't really use for games, is my Steam Deck and my Switch. Hey, so, um, well, guess what? Crisis uh-huh. Core Reunion is coming to uh, Switch. So you're I know, but I don't want it on Switch. It's, they, 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 they said it's going to run on 30 FPS. So it's like, okay, well, I need to know if this runs good on Steam Deck. That's uh, I need to go bug some people about that and see what that their experience is like. They cannot say it publicly, but I can bug them. Um, and yeah, and then I guess for um, Witch on the Holy Night, I guess I'll get that on Switch because it's a visual novel. There shouldn't be performance problems on Switch, and if there is, I get a fucking I get a set of very. You're gonna complain about it on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck. <laughs> uh, and then. Yeah, but I, I already have to start like thinking about like what am I gonna play when I'm like when my primary like gaming devices are out of commission. Monster Hunter on Steam Deck? Uh maybe I don't know. Maybe that's not that's not that's not a not a bad idea. And then the last gameplay trailer, or sorry, I don't know why I said gameplay. The last trailer that we got is another story trailer, and the, I put this one last for a reason because it's strange. Is that we got a story trailer for the upcoming Tales of Symphonia remastered. So, if you haven't played Tales of Symphonia, like I said, it's it is a great game. Even though I'm probably very clouded by nostalgia on that, having played the original GameCube release, uh, we've got a new story trailer from it from Bandai Namco for the remastered edition, which is effectively a port of the current PC version. So it's there. I I wish I had something more eloquent to say, but you got a new tra- we got a new story trailer for that. If you're not aware and you're looking forward to this, if you're a more recent fan of the Tales series and you're looking to replay Tales of Symphonia on a console, we got a story trailer for it. There you go. Yeah, it, it, like, spoilers. It looks like Tales of Symphonia. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I I, feel, I, feel, I wish I could say more, but it is. It is what it is. Like, yep, looks like the game I played a while ago, both in terms of gameplay and the story hasn't changed. It, 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 looks I will say, worse than, it looks to be running worse than what I played when originally. You know yeah, what I'm it has half the frame rate for some reason. <laughs> I guess I will say, and again, I'm clouded by nostalgia here. I really do like how Tales of Symphonia at the very outset has a very kind of classic JRPG framework for its characters, particularly its main heroine, Colette, and like what the hero's journey is going to be. And then it does twist it in a way that, at least at the time 20 years ago, I, and very young me, was unexpected. Uh, so I think that this game does have a compelling story in some aspects. In some aspects. So if you haven't played it before, and this is your way that you're going to experience Tales of Symphonia, try not to poo-poo on that. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard not to look at this and be like, "Man, I wish we got a, a Gila remaster or a Zestiria remaster or or something." Or, or oh, a you don't, you don't want a Zestiria remaster? <laughs> Did you just say Zestiria remaster? No, you well, don't. What, what if they What if they tweaked it to be good? What uh, if they made it actually a good game and not a bad <laughs> game? I cannot believe I just heard. Uh, but what if we got a Zestiria remaster? I'm like, well, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I sure don't. Well, Okay. Never. Okay. Fine. Just, just, uh, just Jilla then, or maybe Grace's. Grace's is good. Oh right. man, that fucking cracked me up. 
Like no one on earth wants that. Don't don't lie to me. I'm in the bargaining phase here. All right. Okay. I actually uh, remember. I actually remember when Bond and Amco revealed like the best-selling Tales game in each region, and in Europe, it is Zestiria. at the time i remember i think it was brian on the twitter even said like you're up what's up with this (laughs) like sometimes we let the personal opinions bleed through like yeah we don't really think highly of this game we're sorry yeah but i i think the main the main thing that we attributed that was that zisteria was i believe the first one to release at least shortly with within its release window on pc which europe has had a strong pc market for decades now i think it also had so, maybe more text languages also i'm not sure oh yeah like that it had just more uh efgis support or whatever you call that efigs you're, you're yeah, lucky uh, you already have a better podcast title because if i were to because that would have been my next like second place one and that would have like like maybe traumatized a few listeners as well if they spread that hey yeah as a stereo remaster would be a sideways move for a symphonia remaster remaster Look, I will even like. Uh, look, I'm even willing to give Symphonia fans a bone. I, I think Symphonia is a better game than Zisteria. Oh, there you big, go. Uh, that, that, that's big. That's huge. I know. If you're if but. you're choosing between, if you are like the one of 15 people in the world that is uh-huh. choosing between Symphonia Remaster or should I play Zisteria for this? Just play Symphonia again. Just play the remaster. <laughs> just like just I, like I, 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 like I replayed uh, Symphonia like within the last five years, and like I don't think like after a replay of that, like it was like my fourth time I replayed that game. Like I don't think it's like uh, as good of a game as like people remember. But even I will say that it is a better game than Zisteria. It's crazy. There you, know? you go. You've heard it here. The high high bar. Symphonia is better than Zisteria. If you disagree, let us know, please. <laughs> And the last trailer that we got, this is one that just came through our social feeds as we were recording this. And someone, I believe Josh, threw it in our podcast document in all caps. We've got a new trailer for the upcoming Trails of Cold Steel anime, something, something Northern War. I don't remember what it's called. We got a trailer for it. Uh, And who is excited as someone who has just recently finished Cold Steel 4? You should know what the fuck's happening on this. This is this this should be this should be shit that like you know about. Like, oh, okay, like that. This is what's happening in this show. I do wonder that one of the main characters in this anime is like the blonde-haired heroine Azaria, and like she's got to die, right? Like, because she's not around outside of this anime, right? She'll show up in Kuro Three. Her her, her name is Lavi, um, and um, it's about the North Ambrian War. And the games have talked about this war. I'm not going to say what they said, but they have talked about uh, and never showed this war. And this is what the anime yeah, uh, it, depicts. It is one of those things where it's like, apparently, Reen... So this is me with my shitty memory, trying to remember back from what happens between Cold Seals 2 and 3. Do you see a little bit of it in the uh, divertisement, or whatever they call it, uh, in 2? Or is it three? I don't remember. But it's like, oh, yeah, I guess Reen, between being a student and being a teacher, went off to war, worked for the Empire, and then came back. And I guess this is what happened. So there, this does fit into what the gameplay has talked about, or what the game series has talked about. It's but canon. This not series invested. is canon. The sword, sword. There you go. So if you, mm-hmm. it, it, look, if you, don't, if you don't know what happens at this by the time Reen comes back into the main games, then you might have a problem. Do I, do I, have, to, do I have to watch this in order to play Reverie next year? Yes. 
<laughs> I'll just say yes, even though even though no one has watched it, has played Reverie. I'll just say yes. <laughs> yeah, but say, even though Reverie released in Japan before this yeah. released in Japan, no one actually so, so, yeah, Reverie. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're right. Uh, I guess to try to be so, I guess the, to put in some actual details, this anime, uh, Trails of Cold Steel: Northern War, will begin airing on January eighth in Japan, and I don't know if it has any simul sub partnership with Crunchyroll or anyone. Yeah, yeah I think Crunchyroll put up the trailer, so I assume, yeah, still have the... Ah, gotcha. Sweet. Yeah. So there you go. The return of Reen on the big screen next year. Mm-hmm. You thought we were free of Reen? You you thought wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm always ready for more Reen. No matter how much I bitch, I'm always ready for more Reen. Uh, a couple of the last news posts that we have this week are just some sales number updates and one release date. So as for sales number updates, uh, the Digimon Survive, the long-awaited game that kind of seemed like it came and went without a lot of fanfare, though Josh did cover it very uh, very thoroughly and comprehensively up on this podcast well, and on Quentin the site. reviewed it, but yeah, Josh. Oh, but uh, in, the, in the context of this podcast, I've heard Josh talk about Even though Quentin did provide the review, uh, we, Josh has spoken to it uh, comprehensively up on the podcast. Digimon Survive has sold 500,000 copies which for a game that is a kind of a, a relatively niche IP and a niche genre, being a visual novel, I don't know what Bandai Namco's expectations were, but being my best guess from my uneducated standpoint would have to be that 500,000 is a success for this game. I don't know that for certain, but I have a hard time imagining that they would have expected that this visual novel to sell more than 500,000. And yeah. obviously they... Uh, the fact that they even celebrated the the, uh, the sales milestone in an official capacity at all does offer some suggestion that the sentiment is positive that it has reached that milestone within the year of its release. So yeah, yeah. good for Digimon Survive. Yeah, five hundred thousand is a big number. I know a lot of people like uh, get over like, oh, a million, only a million, only a, one and a half million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Released like ten million. Yeah, yeah, really lots of there. Like, what are good sales numbers relative, like, to like the game's expectations and all that? Right. I th- I have to assume five hundred thousand is a is a pretty damn good success for like their expectations, especially with all, with all the trouble development and whatnot i wonder what i wonder what lessons they'll learn uh, they'll take away from the game i think it's a it's a pretty flawed game but i think it's a really interesting game um but good enough good on them it's a, it's a very big experiment if nothing else like there's a there's a digimon game that's never unlike any or any other that's really come out before it so happy to see that like hopefully that, that like they see this as a success and i really like to see them expand and build on the formula make it more fleshed out and like kind of overcome the the shortcomings that the survive did go through and hopefully with a less trouble development cycle. Um, but yeah, that's, that's great to hear, you know, I mean, I know all, you know, a good chunk of people did enjoy it. And like, while I did not overall, I think I'm really, I'm really happy for the people who did. Mm-hmm. And the other sales update that we have is of course, in late October, we saw the release of persona five Royal, on not only PC, as I was tempted to state back when this game was launching, but also on Switch and Xbox. Uh, Persona 5 Royal, with the new platform releases, has sold an additional 1 million. And by sold, I mean digital sales plus physical shipments. Persona 5 Royal has sold an additional 1 million copies. So in total, that is up to 3.3 million, including the original PS4 release. Which Persona, which used to be such a niche series, 
now having a mainline title sell in the three plus million mark is just obviously Atlas has a winner on their hands here to it's hard to say like it's persona niche anymore. It's selling kind of on par with Square Enix titles at this point. So very good to see that Persona 5 Royal surprise is very popular and has resonated with a lot of fans now across multiple platforms. I have this installed on Steam. I do want to get to it. Maybe it runs well on Steam Deck. I think it does. Uh, yeah, apparently it does. Yeah. So has sold an additional one million since the month or so it's released on PC and Game Pass. I wonder, wonder how many um, people are playing it on Game Pass because I see I see this the, this game is like one of the main frontline games they they released in that new Game Pass trailer that they have on Twitch. You know, part, kind of part of the montage of games they showcase that are on Game Pass. Uh, I really, yeah, I know on my Xbox app this there. has been kind of. On my Xbox app, this has been really in the front of like I don't ha- I don't currently have a Game Pass subscription, uh, but this is one of the big marketing like hey get Game Pass and you can get this. But I, I just bought it on Steam. Uh, but yeah, Game Pass right now it's this, and then of course Monster Hunter is a big get for for Game Pass as well. Right now I have my Xbox app pulled up right now, and they say coming to Game Pass Monster Hunter Rise June. What is Pokemon coming to Game Pass, dude? January. Uh, it's uh-huh. kind of strange because I, I remember a time when mm-hmm. Atlas Games and PC were a uh, a fever dream. Mm-hmm. Sony Games and PC were a fever dream. Hell, I remember when Final Fantasy 13 came to PC. That was insane at the time. And and now the, all those things we almost all take for granted now. I guess Atlas is still kind of in the new space. Right now, it seems impossible that Nintendo games would ever release on PC. But I don't know. The landscape is changing quickly. And I don't know. Anything is possible. There, there was a time when people made joke images, vile joke images, that hentai would be coming to Steam. And lo and behold, <laughs> what, what is Steam? Yeah, right not, only, not only do we have that, but we, not only do we have Sony games and Atlas games, but yeah, also hentai, of course. All is available right. on PC. So what, so, what, so what is Nintendo? Come on, get on, get on it. Get Pokemon yeah, come on, on PC. On. <laughs> Oh, I guess speaking of Pokemon, I can't believe I skipped over this. Uh, they did release. I know some of us are still working through Scarlet and Violet. And of course, that game, uh, we talked last week about how James put his final review up on the site, how it is a very ambitious game that does a lot of things with the Pokemon formula that we that is worth applauding, though has released in a technically very terrible state. Um, it did get a official update from Nintendo update 1.10, if that means anything. Uh, so it is getting some post launch support in terms of trying to squash out and smooth out the performance issues it has. I recently downloaded this on my switch, but I haven't played it since the update. Uh, so that's kind of going to be the big contention point for Scarlet and Violet, both in terms of our specific context for our site as we go forward, but also just like the game's legacy where, to what extent is all the good that Scarlet and Violet bring to the series tarnished by the state it released in? So that'll be kind of an interesting thing to keep an eye on uh, as we go into next year. Because I'm sure this game is going to get plenty of post-launch support like Sword and Shield did. As far as I can tell, this 1.1 update really didn't. I'm not seeing a lot of people phrase it in terms of, oh, everything's fixed now. But hopefully things are at least smoothed out a little bit. You know what they did it they, they finally that? Pokemon's close their eyes when they fall asleep, thanks to this patch. <laughs> I know, I know. That's a game changer. 
I love how nobody was sure if it was actually a bug or not, even though every other 3D Pokemon game, they closed their eyes if they fell asleep. <laughs> Clearly, yep. it was just a bug. That's funny. And yeah, and the, um, yeah, season of one ra- of ranked battles will kick off. I, I, I don't know what the... Um, I, I remember seeing a headline. I didn't actually read into it because I'm not really big into the competitive co- Pokemon scene, obviously, but what is, what is the current landscape of like terrestrialization or whatnot in the po- competitive Pokemon scene? Because I heard like they're considering banning it or they already banned terrestrialization. Uh, that would know. only be Smogan, which isn't the actual official competitive scene. Okay. Um, the official competitive scene is VGC, um, which is uh, actually handled by the Pokemon company themselves. Mm-hmm. And which means that it's weird how there's like a separate like faux competitive Pokemon scene that's like all like uh, community kind of driven. And then there's the official one, but there's not really any tournaments for smogan rule set so why do people even give a, sh- a shit about it in the first place i don't know okay i don't okay. know and mostly it's something that I, like yeah i just like kind of caught the corner of my eye so as far so uh, for official rules terrestrialization is still on then oh yeah they wouldn't have added it to the game otherwise okay okay i do like so uh i as someone who's never visited smogan uh dot com uh, terrestrialization, sorry, terrestrializing, I can't speak that, has been uni- unanimously banned by the council. Oh, Being shit. able to transform into a single type to remove a weakness is incredibly defensive and is massive power creep. Adding to this, terrestrial boost Pokemon from 1.5 times same type attack bonus to two times, making it nearly impossible for disadvantageous matchups to gain a footing in a game. So, like, I guess they feel very strongly about basically terrestrializing is op bro i guess this is what they're getting at yeah the council's really serious about this holy shit yeah i can't the that's council crazy. has spoken that's the, okay. the smogon console council the council is gonna reconvene next weekend for our game of the year podcast <laughs> that's our console which is not as we are we, <laughs> we don't have the same clout as the smoke on console that's true we, we we can't fucking ban terrestrialization like they can fuck we can ban bad games like, though I will just say, though, that um, when my playthrough of Scarlet and Violet so far, I just don't like the aesthetics of terrestrialization. I just don't think it looks interesting and the implementation's kind of boring. So I just haven't been using it just because I think it's more boring and not engaging rather than whether or not it's balanced. Like, I thought the Gigantamaxing, I just think, is more interesting. And even Mega Evolutions, I just think is more interesting. It felt like they're saying, like, what else can we do on the same vein? How about this? And it's just like, it's the least... If you're going to have some sort of like story focused, limited use power up mechanic. That's someone who has not played Sword and Shield nor XY. Was that the one that had the Mega Evolutions? Even from a distance, I would say that seeing artwork of Mega Evolutions roll in or Gigantamax forms roll in is a lot more interesting to me, even from a distance as a fringe Pokemon fan than the terrestrialization has been. Which you know what I terrestrialization just think uh, remind me of at like first glance when I ever whenever I see them? I think I think of I think of ring pops. You remember ring pops? Yeah they I can see that. They should make you yeah, hungry for, for sugar. Yeah like they, yeah yeah for people who don't know they're like lollipops that were on rings and they kind of look like gemstones. Um <laughs> that's the best way I could like uh, describe them and then whenever I, I see a terrestrialized Pokemon I'm like yep I love ring pops. I haven't had one in years but I, <laughs> I sure like them. 
I love everyone comes to this podcast to hear our nuanced takes on Pokemon lore and discussion. <laughs> and instead, we're like, how about the rig pops? Look, no, the, those cherry rig pops were so good, though. Did, did, did anyone actually bother to wear them on their rings? Me. On, I on did. Their, on their rings, on their fingers, I mean. Oh, I did. <laughs> That's how they were designed. I mean, stupid but lollipop, get the carry in your hand. Exactly. Oh, oh my God. It's so inefficient. <laughs> yeah, you can't use both of your extremities anymore if you're holding a lollipop. Ring, ring pop solved this problem. Yep. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I it'd be it will be interesting to see in general uh, what sort of post-game support we see for, whether it's in the form of like a DLC pack like we saw of the Isle of Armor uh, in Sword and Shield and how that kind of grows the foundation of Scarlet and Violet into uh, 2024. Because now Pokemon Company has gotten their like three releases out within a calendar year or whatever. It'll be interesting to see like, all right, guys, you can breathe now. Let's support the games you've got and see if you've got them, get them actually to run, run well on your consoles. And the very last uh, news post that we've got here is an upcoming release date for next year. It is another Q1 release date in March. Surprise. And that is for Mato Anomalies. Now, this is a game that we talked about when it was announced back in, oh, I hope I get the month right, July? It was sometime in like late, in that late summer window back when we had kind of our faux E3 summer of gaming. Uh, we learned about Mato Anomalies. We got our like launch trailers discussion for it, how it features two different protagonists and has kind of like a supernatural detective sort of noir vibe to it uh, being published by Prime Matter. It will release on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC on March 10th. Uh, next year and uh, i believe this was accompanied with a new uh, release date trailer for it which is another like 90 seconds of footage um but other than that i haven't really dug much into this but it's it's another one of those games where uh it's going to kind of be in a crowded release window in q1 of next year which always seems to be crowded yeah it's definitely a a, a game that's interesting uh, to me but i have no idea what the gaming landscape is going to be like in early March next year. Who knows like what what I'll be doing, what games are surrounding it, but I would definitely like to give it a shot and you know, hopefully it shapes up, you know. I, I think I think uh people who have gotten hands on at it because I think there's like a, a demo that was released around TGS or something or maybe like I was doing a, a, during a Steam Fest, I don't remember, but people are like the I think there's like a solid the people have said uh there seems to be a solid foundation uh, there with some um Definitely some improvements they can make along the way, but um, it's it's definitely something that looks like something refreshing at first glance. So we'll see how it shapes up. I'm I do want to play it. We'll see if I have time to. But yeah, I mean, you know, that's, there's already so many freaking games next year to, to lined up. I so here's my chance to that. shout out mm-hmm. uh, Adam, uh, primarily Adam. I know others contribute to this. Keep up to date a kind of a refreshed feature up on our site for basically release dates of rpgs it's the rpgs of 2023 uh, adams organizes it by release date by month and keeps it up to date he checks it at least once a, once a week uh, maybe at least once a month and we've already got the following for march of next year uh wolong fallen dynasty legend of heroes trails to azure Adam, is this true? You've got the System Shock remake, which feels like it's been in development forever, is slated for March of next year. Uh, I think that's what the Steam page said at one point. Sorry, so who knows that if that? Who knows if that's actually true? Yeah, yeah that the, the Steam, Steam page just say yeah, March twenty twenty three. 
And this is this is this is. And then this is ignoring the fact that late February we've already got Octopath Traveler two, Rise of Three, uh, Atomic Heart, um, Wild Hearts is middle of February. Uh, Void Terrarium two is a smaller game. So yeah, late February, early March next year just seems like a bloodbath. But March tenth, Mato Anomalies adds to the list. If it's any consolation, we currently have nothing slated for April. Uh, May has it's Legend it. of Zelda. Yeah, yeah. video April games will be the time where. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are no mini, there are no video games by April first next yeah. year. Thank goodness. Thanks. That's oh. uh, I, I, I always dreamt of about the no video games. But I, I'm not surprised. Like, when do we have release dates for um, Personas three and four on like Steam? January. Or no, four is already. I mean, uh, yeah, those are January. Oh, those, oh I was, yeah. I know. I knew those were early next year, but I'm like, are those like spring? No, January. All right. So, so yeah, maybe April. We'll, we'll, yeah, yeah. Four, I guess, kind of preceded everything else i remember once when we were covering all the new persona ports we kind of always have to have a caveat like yeah four is already out but it's coming out to switch and uh xbox and all the other consoles uh in addition to steam alongside three and five as of last october yeah they shouldn't so, have done that they shouldn't have released persona 4 on steam way earlier than uh, really well i mean play. i think it it did really well in terms of steam concurrent player base so maybe it was who knows maybe that's what kind of convinced them oh we've got an untapped market here maybe we should uh look forward to using this multiplayer just for uh reporting easier in, in the future they shouldn't have done it they should be like yeah yeah Okay. <laughs> just for our sake <laughs> I, I remember i forget if it was a tweet or whatever but we said like persona three and four are coming to pc xbox and switch 2023 and some person's like actually persona 4 is already on pc and it's like yes we know like, i don't know it's please dude you only have so many characters in the tweet that we can do <laughs> i, I yeah, beg of you <laughs> but um yeah that's uh that's a wrap i mean for the podcast this year as far as normal podcast episodes go it's been uh it's been a journey and uh, I will do one last chance. So this is our last chance we get to speak to this before the Game of the Year cast. Uh, we do have two ongoing polls right now, and we've been uh, continuing to retweet them on our socials throughout the month of December. The first one is a poll that we hold every five years or so. It's a very straightforward one. Uh, it is your favorite Final Fantasy game. So basically, it's just ranking of mainline Final Fantasies. Uh, last time we did this was shortly after the release of Final Fantasy 15, and we're doing it again for the series' 35th anniversary this year. So we will have that up on our website and our social channels. So we've already got uh, over at least over a thousand votes, I believe, on this, and it is a very tight race. I actually don't know the results of this right now. Uh, I believe only Alex Donaldson has like which game is leading on that, but he showed a pie chart of the current results and it is very evenly spread amongst like the top three or four games so there is sometimes we do like a game of the year vote and it, there's a runaway winner for the final fantasy vote uh there isn't one which i think obviously just makes everything all the more exciting so go ahead and vote in our fan 35th anniversary poll for favorite final fantasy game and there's also just i think a, a second question or so about your interest in the upcoming final fantasy 16 which of course is a highly anticipated title for next year on the same vein we do every year have a reader's choice poll in December, and this poll is two simple questions. It is, what was your favorite game of the year? And what is your most anticipated game for next year? So we have this up on our website and across our socials as well. So basically, very straightforward. You have a long list. What is your favorite game from 2022? 
And what are you most looking forward to next year? And this one is maybe not quite as close as the Final Fantasy result, but it is obviously early in the month. And I think well, we, we, have we, just cannot share, we cannot share the specifics right now, but uh, Adam do, does know the current results. And he did mention that there is a three-way tie for uh, a certain uh, placement ranking at the moment. So votes mm-hmm. uh, matter at the moment for a certain subset of games uh, on that poll. I, I, so I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Uh, I'm not going to give away what, what's doing so well right now, but I saw someone reply to one of our socials like, it's garbage, but I'm going to vote for Star Ocean 6. And I'm like, way to be, bro. Like, I, I too vote for Star Ocean 6. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea where it is uh, in the placement. But uh, you, can, you can vote for which game was your favorite. Uh, obviously, that's kind of the intent, but you can also ro- vote for your most surprising game. Just You, you only get one pick. Uh, so go ahead and pick your favorite. And obviously that ends up becoming part of our like end of the year kind of wrap up features. We'll obviously do our own site most anticipated. And of course, our own site deliberations on our favorite game. And sometimes uh, they align very directly. I believe it was like 2020. Uh, was it 20? Yeah, 2020. Uh, both our fans and our site both picked Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, but we've had other years like last year and 2019 where we had a lot of very different choices between the reader's choice and our site choice. So it is always kind of cool that we keep those both in uh, comparison to each other just to see like what our, our reviews and takeaways from the games that released this year versus our reader base. So go ahead and give a vote for both of those polls and we will make those results publish uh, we will publish those results and make them public right at the turn of the year, uh, early in January, hopefully on the 1st, if not shortly thereafter that. You know, you know, the, you know the imagery uh, I got with you when you, when you were talking about um, our personal like Game of the Year rankings versus the reader's choice? I was thinking mm-hmm. of those uh, stickers on the cars of like the how, how are we doing? How like on driving? Please call this number. <laughs> like how we're driving. Like that's like the imagery that I got. It's like when we compare how what we did versus what our readers think. Like I was like, yeah, please give us a call on how we're doing. <laughs> how we're driving. I, I can't believe those those weebs over at RPG site picked Fantasian instead of Shin Megami Tensei or picked Scarlet Saga Saga Scarlet Gray. So I'm sorry if you hear my dog in the background. He's barking okay. at something out the, the window. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. Uh. No, uh, like I guess I'll put it this way. If you listen to our deliberations of the Game of the Year podcast, we go into that discussion having no idea what we're going to pick. We have a list of games, and then we deliberate, and then usually by the end, we have kind of a clear winner, even though it might be a surprising one. So you will be able to hear in real time, well, not in real time, in recorded time, how we come to our conclusion. So it usually is a several hour long discussion. So look forward to that, and obviously that'll be up and attached on both all of our social feeds, uh, um, as well as our main site post, and it'll just be uploaded as a regular episode of our podcast. So if you listen to our Game of the Year podcast, it'll usually be about five to six hours long. We'll see how we fall on that this year, but it'll have our deliberations, and there will be no surprises about how we come to what we come to. So we're very open and transparent about that. But uh, this kind of goes without saying. Thank you so much for listening this year. I stated at the top of this podcast that, at least according to our Spotify wrapped, we've seen a fair amount of growth in terms of our listening uh, listenership. Uh, and some of those percentages are high because we know that we're still growing uh, and getting well, like, I think we just started our YouTube uploads just as of this year, but it seems like that's been pretty popular amongst people. Um, we've seen more people like Josh has stated come into the discord specifically because they listen to the podcast. So we know some of you might not ever read a 
a feature on our site at all, but you come to listen to us every week. And we, we're so thankful for that, whether it's through YouTube or directly on the site or on the Spotify or whatever podcast service you like. We're always happy to have you here. And some of the some of the numbers where we see people tweeting that they've listened to thousands of minutes of coverage from us over the year is just insane. So we are so eternally grateful to know that we can sit here every weekend and blab about video games and then people find this entertaining and hopefully informative and hopefully compelling and hopefully you keep coming back. It's so a very just thank you all feeling. so much. It's a very weird feeling to think that there are people out there that probably recognize my own voice more than I do. <laughs> There's people yeah, that voice this and I up, and I'm like, oh man, I need to like fix that somehow. What the hell? It's kind of like I saw you mixed up. I don't know. <laughs> I heard it. I've heard it though. I, I, I wish he was here. He'll be here next week. Uh, but someone comes into the Discord and it's like, which one of you is Chow? He's the funny one. And I'm just like, oh, that's fun. Dude, back. Uh, Chow yeah, is the funny one. Yeah. Got a bit of a slapstick uh, vibe to him sometimes. He does. Chow. Me too. I do like how we are. We're talking about the most recent Square Enix release or Bioware release, or if we get those in Bethesda. And he's just like, today I decided to mess around on my uh, on my Mister FPG system, or whatever you call it, and I decided to play uh, Lacroix. this Unreal, yeah, pa- <laughs> Pablo Lacroix or Tears of Vermilion or, or all these other sorts of games. And I appreciate Chow. Even he even started a, a retro game topic on our on our Discord because that's something that's very passionate to him and i'm glad that we always get his input on that every once in a while on this podcast and obviously to the people that are present i'm just appreciate adam josh and james and all the other people that jump in on the podcast from time to time to give their impressions of all the things that they play adam's yeah chant for the saga series james always being our, our look in on pokemon Ch- uh josh always being uh our big look in on the the, the mobile space and gundam games and con- Josh, you kind of like cover a little bit. Really the first thing you think of for me, it's like uh, mobile you, games. You, you, Dang. you have a you have a huge bucket, Josh. You cover a little bit of everything. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't put a single label on you because you just you 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 carry us on your back, honestly. And then obviously, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find RPG site on all of our social media channels: YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and of course Twitter. Uh, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes. We have our YouTube uploads as well as directly on the site. You can obviously visit our site directly at rpgsite.net. You can comment on any of our news posts, podcast posts, feature posts at all. We love reading those. And of course, our Discord channel, discord.gg slash site. We will record next week our Game of the Year podcast, but that won't go live until very late in the year or early next year. So you will not hear from us. Uh, and we will be live likely on, I believe, the first Saturday of the new year is the 7th. We will either have our first podcast of next year recorded then or potentially the week after if we want just a little bit more time off. Uh, we will let you guys know. Thank you so much for listening to us uh, throughout the year. We really appreciate your support. Uh, and Look forward to hearing from us next year. And like we've stated, it looks like next year is just not going to slow down. We're going to have a million things to talk about in January and February and March. So we are just going to try to do as much as we can between now and then during our holiday breaks. Whatever you celebrate or don't, we hope you have a good break. Uh, Whether you're visiting family or staying in or celebrating or not, I hope we have a good winter into uh, into the next year. And stay safe and take care. And we really mean it. Look forward to recording for you again next year. But of course, we've all got the uh, Game of the Year deliberations next week to look forward to. So on on our side, we're going to be doing a lot of planning and a lot of scoping and, of course, a pretty long recording next week for that. So we're not going to slow down. 
and we look forward to presenting that for you uh, in not too long. Until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care, and we'll talk to you guys later. Happy holidays, everyone. Later, everyone.